But something really important does happen the first time she goes to court. Do you know what I'm talking about, Maria? Yes. She meets. We get our second character who's female and talks. I'm just kidding. It's the third one. There was Vin, the hairdresser, the hairdresser and now we get Shan. That's it. In this entire giant 24 hour book, there are four women who have speaking lines. Hi guys, and welcome to another episode of your favorite podcast, Unresolved Textual Tension. It's me, your host, Maria, and today I have with me two co-hosts, and not the two you're probably expecting. One you're expecting, it's Will, it's Will. He's rugged, he's handsome, he's here. Hi, Will. Of course. And then the other surprise guest host today is Gina, aka Mistress Sapphire. Aka Katie got a makeover, she looks a little more (laughs) Halloween-y now. Being compared to Katie is not an insult, so it is it is not. Anyway, what book are we doing today, Maria? We are doing Mistborn by the Brandon Sanderson, an author we have not touched on this channel because most of his books are very long, and in this case, it literally took two weeks of reading to get through one of them. because uh, it's just they're chonky boys. He writes chonky boy books. Um and I I have to say that I think this is going to be a, one of our debatey episodes because we have we have a variety of opinions and i'm gonna say this up front i think depending on who you are as a reader the things will and i are going to complain about are going to be the exact things you like and to change them (laughs) will be to take away what you like about them and i say this because i had a conversation last night with gina and my roommate steven who is another very smart person five out of Six of the things I brought up as issues, they were like, no. That's what makes I would have hated it if it was this other thing. And I was like, oh, God. Like, I just think there's two different audiences, and some are just going to love this book out the gate, and some are going to have issues with it. And I will, what I would like to say is, Will and I's comments about what would have worked better for us. And I do have a couple things that I think could have made it a better book, one of which Gina agreed with. One, I got one whole concession. Some of it is a personal preference, but I would say I'm kind of mid. I I think this book is competent in a lot of ways. I think Sanderson is a very competent writer, and I, for a second book, it's actually really good. Like, especially compared to like Fourth Wing, which was like the sixteenth book someone wrote, or like Akita. Like, I I didn't have any of those things. And I mean, those are low bars to compare it to. And there are some things it did that I liked really a lot. But in general, I wouldn't say this book was my book. Okay. All right. So I need to state up front that this is a competent book. This is not terrible. I understand why people like it. If anything, it kind of reminds me a lot of the tie-in books I used to read as a kid, like Forbidden Realms or like Warhammer. He wrote 12 books before this? I hadn't looked at the chronology of it, but I thought he had written a lot more books before this. Oh my god, never mind. The 20th book to be exact. That can't be right. I thought it was early in his canon. Sorry guys, never mind. Anyway, I wanted to foreground that this is like an aggressively mid or aggressively mediocre book, I think is the way a couple of us have have said it. Because most of this video is going to be me complaining about the book in the form of like a rant. And it may get a little performative at times, but I do think that this is like a really, it's a very mechanically mid 
book. Like I, I think the way I described it is that also that it's kind of like he's he's painting, but he only has access to like pastel colors, so everything is kind of muted and not as good. Gina clapped, and then I said the not as good part. That actually is why I like it. Because just in case you guys can't tell, Gina loves this book, and on yeah. the second read, she loved it even more. But just like that description that you just gave, Will is perfect because, in my opinion, there's a reason for it coming off about like that. And that's also why it's perfect for certain readers. I'm making this face so I can cut back to it while editing. That's a good point then, because Gina really liked this book. What do you like about this book? Because I, I think me and Maria are going to spend most of the two hours here saying what we don't like about it. So what do you do like about it? Represent the mm -hmm. Sanderson fandom. Okay, so I don't know if I can represent the entire Sanderson fandom. Well, why did we bring you? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure about that. For her I, excellent looks. I can however, represent the uh, narrow spicy people to some degree. So this book, how you described it of the artist who only has access to pastel colors, I think that that is actually a really good description because for a reader like me who gets lost in like most books, like me and Maria were comparing it to like Gideon the Ninth yesterday and just like completely different books, irrelevant comparison in my opinion. But like Gideon the Ninth is written for like, it. Different conversation. However, this book is unapologetically detailed in ways that allow people who have trouble like connecting with people to understand and connect with these characters. You have such depth of um, lore about like the world that they're in. And Maria disagrees about this, but like what I mean is like, you understand, like, you get glimpses into, like, the history of it, like, the, how things were, like, you see how, like, things have progressed, you understand, like, there's, a, you understand the process of, like, how their allomancy works, you understand, like, different things, you're, like, you're learning so much about the mechanics of this world, that that allows me to really connect with it, because, like, I feel like I understand this world, there's enough detail and everything for me to get a grasp of what the world looks like, and, I don't need to know what the architecture looks like in order to know what the world looks like. So the level of description works for Gina's brain. And the lack, the lack, just getting ahead of you, Maria, the yeah. lack of like traditional emotional connectivity is actually why I can more, like I can connect more emotionally with sort of this book. All their thoughts are stated, like they're not like hitting you in the head of like, you don't necessarily feel what they feel because like Maria's going to get to that. But like for me, they, this writer just like talks out in their head, like, you know, after certain parts of the book, like Kelsey is struggling with it and you hear his internal monologue of like, yes, I feel this way and this is why I feel this way, but it doesn't affect things because of this reason. And like having it spelled out like that from a distance allows me to actually understand the emotional emotions of these characters. Whereas most books I struggle with because most books is just like, it's assumed that you know why people are reacting the way that they do. And I just don't have that. So like, I miss like half the plot of some books, because like all of it's like wrapped up in this like, I don't know, like, default way of describing things that my brain just like can't connect with and writes it off as like, that's irrelevant. I don't need it. But like, there was actually plot points in that. So this book is just written on a level that allows you to like, like kind of like fourth dimension looking into third dimension. Like it allows you to spread everything out and you can see everything to do with it. So it creates a very full encompassing story. So I love this book. And the romance in this book is not really like 
of romance. Like, yes, there is romance, but it's also more or less irrelevant. Like it just exists. It's not a focus, which is also so gratifying for someone like me. So I love this book. I know it's not for everyone. I told Maria that she might not like it, but I love it. It has been so hard for me not to say anything during that. I, I want you all to be proud of me. Go ahead, Maria. I know. Um, so, and I'll say that Stephen agreed with almost all of her points last night and then elaborated on some of them when I complained about the lack of cultural uh, points, distinction, what what like these people are like, what do their clothes look like, what is their culture like, all of that. They just didn't care and thought it would detract from the book. The too much description. Oh, is the book really tightly written and any excess material would make it too long? That's an interesting view viewpoint. There was also the argument that a lot of the... <laughs> Because I, I also went on the, the some scenes probably could have been cut. Good, good half of this book can be cut, and it changes nothing. And I disagree with that. I foundationally disagree with that. Because, like, if you're wanting to only include what cr is critical to the ending of the book, yeah, you're going to miss out on it. Because the purpose of this book is not to get from point A to point B. It's to, like, tell the story of these people's lives, almost like a historical recounting of it is what it is. It's like... If you're reading a history textbook, you get an insight into like all the battles, even if they're irrelevant, because like they happened. And that's but I would important. argue that a lot of the scenes are stuff that wouldn't be included in a historical textbook. Because like from from a, that it's standpoint, not a historical textbook, but I know, like, but it's that kind of I agree with that. That like it, a lot of the stuff, but like there's a lot of logistical stuff that you can that can be summarized in a paragraph that we get pages of, and you can still get that information in a shorter time. Anyway, the point is, a lot of the things I had to say that were issues for me. Both Gina and Steven were like, that is exactly why it works for me. There's other books that do what you want, and I don't like them as much. And I think it is just, unfortunately, the we hit a wall of subjectivity with what works and what uh, doesn't. And uh, like I mentioned that it's this book is simple, where the descriptions are simple. The character arcs and divergences are pretty simple the world itself is pretty simple there's not a lot of complexity coming in the magic system got more complex in the last 10 pages of the book uh but marginally still working within the basic premise but for the most part this is a simple book and i made i made the comment that it is like comparing and the reason i compared it to gideon in the ninth is number one because that is a, a book in a series that gina liked but she made the comment that it was a very hard book for her to follow there is so much detail and description and stuff happening that it made it very hard i mean there were parts that will didn't catch that i caught but gina had been even more locked and i understand because i've been in points where for me a book is doing too much in the beginning and i can't follow because there's too many words i don't know so i can understand why that would be some for like gina and steven why that would be hard to swing with and why this works and so while i'm going to talk about ways that i think this book could be improved for me I have a couple of points that I think would have improved the book even for Gina and Steven uh and not that they need it but that it could be kind of like we just read this book called uh God Killer and there were some points where we said this could be better but the book is fine as it is like those things are fine and so I think that's where Gina is with some of my commentary with as far as the things that could have made it better kind of on a universal she's fine with it as is okay all right my turn to talk enough with the women folk okay so here's the thing again this book is aggressively fine 
I will argue, though, that almost everything it does could be done better without losing what Gina is talking about. Because there's even things like how the pros don't change to reflect the character's thoughts. It's all just very staid, and that has really nothing to do with explaining the character's feelings. You would actually feel it more because the character, like the pros would change to, you know, become more snappy or longer at times. Um, you know, he could use similes once in a while. That wouldn't kill anything in the book. Um, Godkiller, to me, was actually almost a, a, an example of what this book could do better, because that book is better with while still having some problems so, like, one of the things I talked about in that one is that, like, I don't love the kami gods as kami spirits. That, to me, just isn't that super interesting. I, I would prefer more of, like, an Abrahamic kind of a thing. Uh, but, like, that's not what that book is interested in doing. Part of it is that I, I think Gina's right in that this book doesn't have a point, really. Or at least the author doesn't know what it is. That's not what I said. I, I don't think that's what Gina meant. She said, she said it's just like a biopic that tells one event after another. Like a history book. That's not the same thing as that saying it doesn't have a point. A textbook still has a point. What are you talking? Yeah, to tell you about the stories, the lives of the, the people in real life, because you need to know it for like a test or for like understanding conceptual things. This is fiction. Maria, translate what I meant to understand. <laughs> what she meant is it is a straightforward story, but the story definitely has themes and a point to it. At no point was she trying to claim it had no theme or overarching statement it was trying to make. She said that. That the point of this book no she didn't say it was the to point. get to the end yes she did okay so i know what, i know what you're saying i did say that the point of the book is not to like connect point a to point b directly that you need to understand like the rest of what's going on in the world in order to like get the full picture that's not saying that the book doesn't have a point like the book has an objective and for readers like me and steven it meets that objective perfectly like the book is like this telling of a story that like grows from one place to another and in i i know you're, you need to think that half the book can be cut out but for me like if you cut out half the book the kelsier uh character would make less sense because like how he gets from the start of the book to the end of the book without a lot of that like things that you guys want to cut happening would not make sense for kelsier i disagree yeah i disagree that's not what i'm talking about in terms of cutting plan was the same from the start. What we learn in the end is that his plan has always been the same. So his plan didn't evolve. Him as a person didn't evolve. He came into this knowing he wanted spoilers to die and that he was going to die and that he was going to act this way. So I actually disagree. I think his old, it, the end of the book just goes, this was his plan along, all along. And so none of the emotional development, because it would be one thing if he had started with a different plan and then he realized, no, I can't do this because of everything that happened in between. And then he changed it. But that's not what happened. This was his plan from the beginning. So there was no development. This is, Kelsier has been the same since the start of the book. His emotional development happened at the pits of Hathsin. And we knew about that. And uh, uh, one flashback scene to that could have told you. So half the scenes with Kelsier that you think, oh, he's developing, he's moving away from being this god person are obsolete. I think, I think there's a slight misunderstanding because I don't mean that his character changes. I mean that me as a reader, I needed that in order to understand how it happened. Like I needed to have all those events happen in order for me to understand what was going on. The logistics of it? Yeah. I needed that kind of logistics and I needed that kind of like world building. Yeah, the thing is, I'm not even talking about those kinds of scenes is the thing. We'll, we'll talk about it more as we get through. But like, I'm talking more about like the gristle scenes that are like, not super, I, I can't think of a good example now, but I'm sure I will as we go through it. Oh, 
by the way, this is a Patreon live stream. Join our book club, uh, support independent journalism, and we have a sponsor for this video. Maria, tell us about the sponsor. Hi, guys, and welcome to our Indie Ad Corner. We have not read these books. We cannot speak to quality or content, but we do support authors getting eyes on their creations. This video is sponsored by Brian Cole, author of Beginning of Arrogance. Did you have to meow as I said that? Paladins are nothing but trouble. While men and women work and scheme, the gods have their own plans. And when one of them calls on a paladin, those who have wealth and power take notice. Paladins are notorious for upsetting the balance of power to the detriment of any who do not worship the de deity. When Krell is called to service by the capricious god of the seas and skies, Reknor, Everyone takes notice. Reknor hasn't called a paladin in years, and his nature is ever-changing and erratic. What will this mean for their plans and wealth? What should they do to protect themselves from Reknor's champion? More importantly, what compelled Reknor to call a paladin at all? Beginning of Arrogance is a high fantasy epic featuring solid world building, a strong protagonist, and a spirited cast of familiar fantasy characters. In this richly imagined world, the author deftly challenges the conventional perception of paladins as noble and virtuous heroes, instead casting them as a potential threat to the established order. As the story unfolds, it becomes clear that Beginning of Arrogance is not just a heroic fantasy epic, but a reflection on power, privilege, and the consequence of your actions. Brian Cole's Beginning of Arrogance is a triumph of fantasy literature offering readers a spellbinding journey into a world where heroes are not what they seem, and gods wield both capriciousness and power. Cole's storytelling prowess, coupled with a cast of compelling characters and a meticulously crafted world, makes this book a must-read for fans of epic fantasy. Okay, and now we're back. Marie's back to the shirt she was wearing five minutes ago. Yeah, she changed it between shots. Okay, go ahead with what you were saying. So there's a couple of comments I want to highlight. So someone says, I think so. I want to highlight what some of our viewers thought about it. I think Sanderson's prose is fine for me for a little while, but I can't binge his books back to back because it just starts to feel too damn practical and surface level. For Gina, I think that is the appeal. It is one of the appeals. I'm reading real time right now, guys. Like, I... <laughs> It's the same thing. Miss Allie Snow says, as someone who is a fast reader, I like simple prose. Also, there were similes. I kept an eye out last night. Um, Fine Man Production says, it seems that the idea that Gina was saying was that the book is straightforwardly presented, which it is. It is, this book is, it's got a simple through line. It's presented like between descriptions, like uh, how everything's presented. It's very simple. And I don't say that necessarily as a bad thing. Lindbergh says, I think the Orwellian style of the prose is 100% valid. The execution could be tinkered with to change when we receive information and how. I would agree and with that. And that. that I agree with 100%. She had said something about the prose in the Discord. Again, we have a Discord. Come join. It's a good time. About how um, he's trying to write in you know this minimalist Orwellian style. But the thing is, minimalist styles have to punch really hard. So me and Katie... Oh, again, a, a Patreon plug here. We just went over um, Hills While Like White Elephants by uh, a lesser known writer called Hemingway. And that is written in a very, oh, okay, funny story. Uh, Lindbergh is from the Ikea land of Sweden. And so when I said that, she didn't know I was joking. She was like, oh, he's actually very famous here. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm just being sarcastic, guys. I don't give you any tells in my facial language. Um, but that that is such a simple, sparse style, but it really hits at times. And another argument I'll make is that often I heard, um, oh, uh, uh, 
Gina, what's your relationship to alcohol? Uh, I mean, I occasionally drink, but mostly I don't. Okay, because you're going to need to take a shot, both of you, because okay. I'm going to talk about A Song of Ice and Fire. You, you do mm. a, like, a We do a shot. fake shot. Yeah, okay. Except fake Katie, shot. who does a real hey, shot Katie's the only one who does a real <laughs> shot. And I've often heard that, you know, A Song of Ice and Fire's prose are very uh, simple and workmanlike. And I, th and I used to kind of accept that, even though I didn't really believe it, because I was like, all right, whatever. And having gone over his prose in depth, I don't think that's true. There are some really useful, really powerful things he does with descriptions and imagery and how he creates language. To me, these are like so, so simple, um, I think is a good word for it. it it's funny because um, I now understand how he writes books. Oh my God, what happened to my hair? Guys, I'm Hispanic. Don't be racist in the comments. Um, and... Um, I now understand how he writes books so fast. Everyone's like, how does he write books so fast? He he's basically has a plot summary that he stuck some dialogue tags, dialogue, and like one or two descriptions on. There's there is a very there is a sparseness to the prose that feels poor more than um by choice. There are people that would disagree. I, I agree with you, but there are people that disagree with us. Well, one example, one example is uh Maria's comment yesterday was about how um then uh, like suddenly is like all of a sudden like way comfortable with balls even though it's like not been all that much time and i'm like like her character arc hap is very he calls it out she has that internal monologue of like being surprised by it for herself which makes it not a mistake again i and the point i made yesterday is just because it was a conscious decision on the point of the writer doesn't mean it can't be improved or that it should have it been could done. have been improved on but it's not a mistake. I understand what Maria is talking about, and it has to do with the fact that you don't get a subconscious understanding of her subconscious growing to be more comfortable with it. We don't see, see scenes of her at the palace. Gina does agree that her arc was too fast and that it could have been improved. Well, I'm just saying it wasn't even it wasn't even illustrated in a way where we start to pick up on that emotional feeling and we mirror her comfortability with balls. Gina um, agrees. Instead, it was just like, and then she kept going to balls and becoming more, and like, that's just totally. I kind to of you. pointed out that it's like, she, like, Marianne pointed out, it's like, she had two months of training, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yes, but she also got, like, thrown into the deep end with these balls and, like, was immediately, like, caught up with, like, the politic that isn't politic and irrelevant terminology, whatever. But, um, like, she basically had a crash course boot camp kind of thing into, like, she either needs to figure this out or she's going to be caught and killed. So it makes sense that she would, like, become familiar with it really quickly now as for her comfort level with it that's weird like it would make more sense if like she knew logically if she pieced together like what she needs to do and how she needs to act but still be uncomfortable with it like that would have made more sense to me but i think the problem we're going to run into a lot is that i don't think what you're saying is wrong in the abstract in terms of what the like what he's going for makes sense right this is an akawar where it's like what are the characters motivations why is this thing they're trying to why did they get to this end point the end point makes sense but a lot of what we're talking about is like what is the foundations of that and that the foundations of that aren't laid with scenes or dialogue they're just she keeps going to these balls and it just he, he tells you he doesn't show you i talked about this in prose and that often people will just do 
a lot. Well, not often. Sometimes people will just do sh showing, and that's good. You're not you're supposed to show, not tell. But it's okay to give thesis statements a lot of times. Like the character was angry, her breath quickened, she whatever, whatever, and then you can go into it. But it helps ground the reader to understand what the rest of that paragraph is going to be. Um, and I don't like stories that often don't have that unless it's a, a very quick emotional shorthand, like frown, for example. We don't need to explain the emotion behind frown because it is such a um, shibboleth. But that's not what a shibboleth is. I just like it's saying not, it because I've been okay. watching too much Dan Olson. And so I actually, I kind of get what Gina is saying in that the thesis of this, this book lays out a bunch of theses. It could have just had some more um, foundational examples throughout. The funny thing though is that that almost didn't really bother me, the her getting used to the balls thing. There is a certain tone to the book and a certain, um, I've talked about this before, but the, but authors, if you think of a book as a conversation, authors will often train you to understand what level of detail they're talking in. So like how much they're going to be. Um, so if they're very verbose, all of a sudden having simplistic language would be like, okay, why did they do that? Or this feels off. Whereas if they had simplistic language the whole time, it wouldn't necessarily feel different because the texture of the world is created through the expectation of how they've written before. And because of a lot of the expectations going into how this is written and throughout how it's written, like certain things didn't bother me that might in another work. I completely agree. One of the things I wanted to say, because people are still talking about the simplistic prose, and I want to make a point because somebody mentioned, you, you mentioned Hemingway writes simplistically, but I would make the argument is Hemingway writes simply, but it is what is not being said that is all the subtext beneath what is happening. That's not what Sanderson does. He writes simple <laughs> text that is straightforward. There is no subtext. And again, I'm not saying this negatively. This is a positive for very many people. And I think it is neither. I think it's a neutral comment. Is it William, fix your face. It's just straightforward. There is no subtext here um, in what he's saying versus Hemingway. So I think for me, Hemingway's simplistic for me writing works much better because there's all that subtext and the like what isn't being said with well, those subtle cues and i think for that i, I think that's gina's nightmare it is i think gina is. would hate because like what you, what you just described is like so you say that the flower is blue but that really means that the flower isn't red and it not being red is important like that's what i hear i'm like the no the flower's blue so she's having an abortion is actually yeah, like that's like what elephants is all about Two oh, characters yeah. talking to each other about an abortion and never actually saying the word the or really talking about it. That would drive it, but me crazy. Yes, it's, it's, it's Gina's nightmare. And that's why I'm saying that I think at a certain point, some of the things that I think Will is going to say that I think are valid as far as writing on a whole are going to be incredibly un invalid for a huge portion of the population of neurospicy people. And, and just, I don't know, I wouldn't even say neurospicy, but just people i was gonna say i'm neurospicy it depends on the type of neurospicy there's everyone you can have three people with adhd and they're all gonna react to things very differently well i just wanted to be called spicy so this book is a set in a a it so this book is dystopian urban fantasy um and I would almost, for me, it feels like dystopian uh, sci-fi more so than fantasy. The the things that make for me fantasy fantasy are very much missing here. And uh, Stephen had made the point dystopian urban fantasy, which I think is as close to an accurate description. Um, but dystopian sci-fi for me just feels better as a term. Um, and so we are set in a dystopian world where there is a uh, supreme... 
immortal uh, god king. Or ruler sums it up pretty, pretty who well. Who has uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of years ago, over, not hundreds of thousands, but thousands of years ago, or hundreds? It was 1,000 years ago. 1,000. 1,000 years ago, took over the world and has been ruling with an iron fist uh, ever since. And a specific huge chunk of the population is uh, being subjugated and they are called the Ska. And uh, there are nobles, there are the... Um, the ministry? The ministry! Thank you! Because there's the nobles, which are a structure. Um, like, nobility is a structure within a society. And then you have the bureaucratic structure, which is the ministry, which is filled with obligators, which are men who are basically... They're just really intense... Uh, what are those people that you get your things and contracts stamped by? Uh, notaries. Yes, they're just yeah. <laughs> very intense, cop-like <laughs> notary republics. That are the, uh, that's literally what they, they they finalize contracts. They're like uh, lawyers slash notaries slash cops all bunched together. Those are the obligators. Then they're and they're in the ministry, which is that uh, bureaucratic structure, and then. Alongside the obligators are the Inquisitors, which are these weird-ass guys who <laughs> literally have iron spikes going through their head. Like, not just like, oh, it's in their eyes. No, outside their head. And they're just rolling a lot around. Like, everything is fine. And they're like... Ring race? Kind of. They're very fast. They're like zombie cops, I want to say. Like, <laughs> like they should be dead, but they're, they're held together by something. It's more like zombie Spanish Inquisition of anything. They're ring race guys. And this society is basically, um, the, the premise of this book is like, what if the Dark Lord won and it was like a thousand years later? Um, and so this society is a horrifically violent apartheid society. Um, so the introduction scene we get is a noble talking about like their ska working. And one of the obligators is there being like, oh, your plantation's doing very well, but I hear about some things you're doing. And he's like, oh no, does the guy know? And then the guy's like, but I hear you clean up your messes. And what he's talking about is that you are not allowed, nobility and ska cannot interbreed, that's illegal. And um, the common thing that the nobles do is is they will kidnap a ska woman, R-word her for a couple of weeks, and then murder her. And this is one of the first problems we're going to run into, which is that this book's tone is really mismatched with its world building. Now, this came out in 2006, and back then, like, Grimdark was all the craze, so I'm kind of wondering if maybe he thought, like, hey, let me try to do this Grimdark thing, but in my style. But, like, Again, this is a her and then there's other things where like a, a kid was eating some trash bread that the nobles had so they take him out and slit his throat. Like this is a horrifically violent apartheid state. And yet like a lot of this book is very chill and undepressing and characters like laugh a lot and make jokes. Um, and I, I'm not actually even quite sure why he went down this road with it. It's never really explained why the ska are kept as a lower class there's a there's an extent to which you know he really should have read marx before writing this book and i'm not sure that he did i also want to pick up some stuff where, where what will is talking about is something i spoke about to gina and it was the one point that she conceded with me is that this book could have felt more grimdark it could have had a more uh dark creeping feel to it um and i want to highlight some comments we have miss ali so says see nice pros could have made them creepier specifically talking about the the inquisitors um, because the they should be creepy they should be terrifying they're not they're functional they're just very functional um and then Lindbergh says 
those things could have been nightmare fuel and I'm sad they weren't. What is this bullshit? We didn't get to see the Kolos in this book. I was waiting for that the whole book for them to show up and they don't. How do you not have your eldritch alchemical orcs, not super soldiers, not show up in the book? So irritated. You see them later. How many hours later in audiobook? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember if this is two or three. But yeah, like three lot. or four days? Yeah. <laughs> this and is a 24 hour book. Angry Otter says there was no atmosphere, which was something that I said last night in the discussion <laughs> you have to mimic what steven did he was mimicking um the scene oh from uh it's a wonderful life there's that bar scene where that one old man is like what do we you need to come in here with your at we don't need your atmosphere and so stevie <laughs> made that reference uh to which i say i think that atmosphere would have made because you could have kept almost everything else the same and i think it would have hit more because one of the things i spoke about that will and or not will uh steven and gina were both confused about last night was i said this book didn't have a, a, the kind of emotionality that i would want I, I we ended up clarifying and they still said they would have they it would have been fine without it but they thought i meant that the characters being emotional like they kept going i don't want to read pages of people being emotional and i was like no 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 that's not what i'm talking about when i say emotionality i mean like where it's a description of a scene and how it is described or what is happening during it affects you emotionally. There is only one part of this entire book that made me feel a thing. And I still say that it not being there was exceptionally good for me because that being there in every other book keeps me disconnected from the characters. Like, like I said at the start, that is why I can more connect with these characters is because like, I understand their emotions. I don't have to feel their emotions. Like Again, this isn't about feeling their emotions. It is about... I, I don't have to feel about these characters for me to like be attached to them. It doesn't have... So I'm going to use an example that I thought of last night since we had this conversation. The fighting in this series versus Jocelyn in the Kushiel books. Oh, yeah, okay. Kushiel. So... They were in the snow... There's a snowstorm. Snow me, is flying me, everywhere. He's finish. a lone figure. I slightly more than you comparing it to Gideon. So continue. The way Jocelyn's fight scenes are is it's not talking about his emotions. It's not talking about what he's feeling. It's not talking about what Phaedra's feeling. She does give you her comments about I was worried about stuff, but she's not like, and then I was overcome by masses of emotions. But there is an emotionality to his fight scenes. It's not describing his emotions, but it builds a scene with atmosphere. I'll use the snow scene in the first book oh, where there's the, so the blizzard, uh, like the Phaedra has to, Phaedra has to kill that guy. Um, and Jocelyn is fighting for his life. And there are emotional stakes for you as the reader. The, the author is not telling you, Hey, Oh no, Jocelyn, oh, he has feelings. It's not doing any of that. But the way it is written, there are stakes. There is tension. You're like, oh shit. And Jocelyn is a master of his craft. And she writes it in a way where she's not saying, and he was a master of his craft. But the way she describes his fighting style, that scene is emotionally charged. And she doesn't talk about emotions in the scene at all. But you walk away like, holy shit. That was tense as fuck. So I will say the writer who I cannot remember the name of her right now who wrote Kushiel's series. Jacqueline K. I, yeah. I think she is a good go-between between what I'm describing of like what works really well for readers like me versus what works really well for readers like you. It's kind of like a middle ground. It works really decently. However, as Iceman just or Iceman just said, 
I liked these fight scenes a lot more because like I felt like I felt like I was there fighting because I understood all like everything that they were doing enough that like ah yes in this situation this is what I would do like and this was what I would do next and like that happened I'm like ah I you I'm connected to it like the fight scenes like with Jocelyn in the snow it's like ah yes he's very impressive and that's very important and like it uh life stakes like okay yes but like I still don't get that emotional connection so like this being like very descriptive of just like they're flying through the air and jumping and pulling and like doing all these other things like that can easily just be like mushy or whatever to like readers but for me that level of detail is just like what brings that fight to life see for me I would say it didn't have enough detail it was just description of what was happening it was so mechanical it was thing happened and that's thing the right kind of detail is my point like for me that was the right kind of detail if they added more detail that foundation would get cloudy and I would lose both the added detail in the original detail. And again, I think at a certain point, it's just different readership because for me, the, the, like that emotionality is at the heart. And cause here's the thing, who's shield as a series is, is still a bit emotionally distant for me as a reader. There and that's are why it's a compromise. <laughs> yeah. So I would say that it is a compromise and it makes sense where if the parts of Kushiel that you like are those distance things that this book would be an even higher thing for you. For example, like the parts of Kushiel that I liked most was like, honestly, like the sex scenes, but not because of like their sex scenes, but like she was describing the sex scenes, some of them like very mechanically of like, this is my job. This is what I do. I do this, then like those sex scenes I could identify with really well. Cause I'm like, yes, you're treating it as like a thought out process and I can follow it and understand it. Whereas like the sex scenes with like the roses on the bed, I'm like, Oh, that's very sweet. He's thinking about it, but like, I don't care. So I do think uh, Sanderson is really poor at writing fighting scenes in terms of the actual scenes themselves. Like I, I, th I think there's a lack of perspective and emotionality. Um, but also part of it is that if you have built the emotions correctly, you don't need to insist in them in the moment. Uh, Maria, we will always remember Uprooted, uh, where at the very end she takes his hand and it's like such a simple thing, but because of how the book has built it up until that moment, you are, I've talked about this before, you want you and the, the character to be on the same page so that you want them to do things and you uh, are anticipating what they are doing and then you don't need to describe why the character is doing it. You and them are on the same page because you're identifying with them. And I think he fails to build up some of that stuff in this book um it probably is behooves us to talk more about the fight scenes later because right now there aren't because the two that i think really um are important are uh what's his face is at the end and um there's another one in the middle i can't remember when she attacks the when her and kelsey are going to the palace thing that was the moment that elicited the most emotion for me was when uh shan died i was so pissed she was my favorite character i was very happy that she died. He loves bitchy smart women. Oh, he loves them. That's a simplification. I like hot bitchy women. Going back to the world building, I think back at the beginning a little bit. There's also kind of a problem here where it's never quite clear why society took this shape. Um, he seems to have just known that like, hey, rich people being rich and poor people being poor is like an inherently like it. So, okay. <laughs> Here's the thing. A lot of this book, um, I think, can be summed up by the fact that Sanderson is Mormon. And so a lot of this book has a very limited lived viewpoint kind of feeling to it. I don't know that that's true. I don't know Sanderson as a person. But like, so for uh, example, women in this book are like, he knows that they can be small and cute. 
He knows they can be bitchy, but otherwise he's very baffled on the subject of women. And it doesn't feel um, mean in any way. It just kind of feels like he doesn't even really know what's going on there. Um, and so in terms of the way the evil empire is constructed, we're never really given a reason why it has such a brutal racial dynamic, considering that it's not as though the nobles themselves are higher because they can use misborn within their houses um, because that's the other thing is uh, the nobles are the only ones who can use the magic system um, but in within the noble houses it's not as though like oh you you have magic you are now the head of the house it still follows a, a normal hereditary um, system which is like kind of weird so it doesn't make sense that the ska are a lower class it's again kind of like he was just like i know lower classes tend to be like peasants and also slaves so that's what i'm gonna do and it feels unnecessarily grimdark so we started with not grimdark enough and now it's too grimdark it doesn't feel grimdark but he plays into the tropes of grimdark without a real analysis of how did we get here why is this what the society looks like because here's the thing a lot of times people just add magic to what our histories are they just take so like basically we have slave plantations and there's been a whole discussion about his like referencing chattel slavery and like the the lack of nuance around it especially because we're using terms like plantation and uh you know not dealing with like the racism of it all in this book explained that the lord ruler created the nobility from people who supported him back in the day and the scar were descendants of everyone else that's actually a fascinating idea if like after frodo takes the ring he's like aragorn you're a noble house now gimli you're a noble house and that would be super cool if these these houses had stories about themselves that went back to that time period. I will say it's have you guys you guys haven't read the other two or like any of it, right? Um, created is kind of actually the right word because if I remember correctly, it's been a long time since I read books two and three. But if I remember correctly, um, and like potential spoilers for future books, um, he actually basically gave them their alamancy. So he actually did create them as a different class. class. No, but that's what he's saying. It's like if at the end, Aragorn literally went, Gimli, you are now the head of a noble house. It's not just like, uh, oh, you now have a title. Like he actually did give them the powers. That's cool. But then also, again, why within the noble houses do not the people with power, if, if that is the distinction of the social class, why is it like, why does it not have an internal logic when it comes to the actual politics of the house? I agree with you on that. Like, that's that's fine. And this is a thing I think where the book could be improved. The book could be improved by leaning into the what if Frodo was like, hey, uh, Sam, your house now has the sigil of the gardener and you guys are all going to think about how you were gardeners going back because that is like a really interesting idea because the thing is this book w wants to be 1984 via Frodo getting the ring, but it doesn't actually really commit to that. It kind of just copy and pastes normal fantasy like tropes over that. And to be clear, I would, and I know this is going to stun Maria. I would actually prefer if this book was less grimdark. Uh, in terms of its setting, because I think that would match his vision much closer than trying to have this grim dark. Like I don't think he could do grim dark. I think he needs to take it out. I think there's two options for it. Either you have the vibe match the grim darkness, or like you're saying, just have a less grim dark setting. So the vibe that he currently has matches. So there's there's you can go one of two ways for myself, and this is very odd for me because I am not a grim dark reader. I would have liked the creepy creeps. I would have liked that dark foreboding feel. Like I wanted to be scared of something in this book. I wanted something to have 
like the twinge of the forest uh, via Naomi Novik's uh, uprooted. And so I would prefer to go that way, but I do think you can go your way well, where you just make the setting match the um, the tone. That's very weird. We're like usually going in opposite directions. Opposite directions. So, yeah. I think for me, it's just the idea that like magic would affect in, and I think the ways Will's talking about it, where you would, like the people with uh, allomancy are the ones that you, like you guys have the children nobody else is out here having kids we run down uh magic lines baby uh and so like ellen should never have at any point in a society where this is this powerful this is what establishes you as a separate you are different from the ska because you have this the idea is to get as many people in your house to be alimantic as possible um and so the fact that it is just like normal old hereditary patriarchal lines yeah so i actually agree with you because like along the same lines given what you guys were just talking about it wouldn't make really make sense for them for anyone who's like a missing or misborn to be kept a secret within the noble houses because like they're doing it so like they can't become like targets of assassination or something but like it would make more sense that they mimic lord ruler a little bit more of like yes, I'm powerful and you can know I'm powerful because I can kill you. Exactly. Because like, if they're mimicking from her, for his jewelry, they might as well mimic him for his like attitude too. A hundred percent. And that's- So like, I agree with you on that. That- that would be a good addition. Having, and, and that's what, where a little bit more thinking, because that's what I mean when I said this book doesn't have culture. It is just taken standard human, our world stuff and added like, ooh, what if there was this cool magic thing to it? And I think having a better culture that felt different because of this really intense because we're a thousand years into people having allomantic abilities a thousand years their culture should not just feel like medieval europe with with magic so for example one of the things i thought is that you know the if you do have an upper class that's completely allomancers who can sense metal and stuff we'll get into that in a minute it would be really cool if they had a writing system that just looked like a bunch of metal bars to people and they couldn't figure out why but you had to sense the specific amounts of metal in each one to understand it would be like a sigil but instead of visually with an allomantic sense and only people who have allomancy could feel it that would be a cool little world building detail only people who are either misborn or uh sensors would be like so like that cuts out like a lot of people I, that... exactly it's an elite writing system for smart people that's the point it, sh it shouldn't be the only writing system it would make sense for like the ministry to have that but that's the point these are the types of tiny cultural markers that when I said they were missing from the book I'm also going to just be honest I don't think it's necessary and I don't think it would add anything if it was I just I, for me it would add richness it would add culture it would also make this feel like a legit world and not just like our world copy pasted but plus magic. To me, though, like, that just, like, is a downgrading, because, like, you're going from, like, written word to, like, some kind of, like, hieroglyph-type thing. Yeah. Like, that, that's backwards, though. Rich it's people not... get to do dumb shit all the time. The more ostentatious and dumb it is, the richer it is. And they could even be like, oh, see, the Scott, they mean well, but they can't understand the higher nuances of the language. Yeah, but ha like most of the nobility wouldn't be able to either. But I'm saying in a world where the the if we did the more idea of the Alamancers as a higher class, even within the... But like, Alamancers should look down on the non-Alamantic nobility. They're literally ubermatch. That would make sense. I just don't like the weird writing thing. And it doesn't have to be that, but other markers... Like other things that they can do that is built into the society that the non-Alamantic nobles can't do. If they had like weird special locks that you could only manipulate if you were misborn or something, because it had to like both hole and put like 
That would be cool. Whatever it is, it doesn't it doesn't have to be the writing thing. That was just an example. The point is these types of cultural markers that would make this a distinct culture that is, again, not just because all this is, he hit it on the head. This is Versailles with magic that's it that's and it. some russian surfs so i agree with you about that we can't we can do stuff we haven't even gotten to the main character yet back to back to the plot you have the scott they're they're underneath there's the nobility there's the ministry they're kind of like on par but the ministry is who the lord ruler puts all of his edicts and they're basically his bureaucratic and enforcement um side of everything underneath all of this are the scott they on the rural plantations they are just slave farming labor also one thing to mention this world is fucked the sky is red the sun is red the sky is gray ash constantly rains down from some volcanoes nearby wherever the fuck they we never like we're told that in that one flashback to his journal that mm. he's going to a place with volcanoes but like you, you never see them and nobody's like ah yes the ash from the volcanoes like that's a weird thing if it is that close <laughs> that you have ash falling on you all the time why are we not described mountains in the fucking distance Sorry. Plants being green is as weird as them being blue and purple. I hated parts of that because the thing is Sanderson remembers at times that people are supposed to have a limited viewpoint and then he'll forget it when it comes to imagery. So at one point, Rin, the main character, is like, a flower? Is that like fruit? And I'm like, fruit comes from flowers, first flowers, of all. Yeah, but second of all, you can't you can't have fruit without flowers. I had the same thought. I was like, Sanderson, that was dumb as fuck. <laughs> yeah, that line caught me too. And and the other thing is like, I'm fairly sure he's used language that ha that is flowery. Uh, no, but like he's used metaphors or similes that have stuff that it's another example of the world building just feeling very shallow to me in that he kind of thought up at times that they should be missing certain things, but he didn't really go hammer and tongs working into what that actually means. So we've talked before about how sci-fi is or one definition of sci-fi is if you took a, a sci-fi idea as real, how would that change society? And that's why um, and, and people and that's why um the Star Wars isn't sci-fi because it basically their answer to what if the force existed is you would get samurai cops and that's just not really an interesting thing. Um, and so in a lot of ways, magic kind of has to be treated the same in that if there is magic, how does that change the world? And you need to track that basic idea to its consequences. And he doesn't really do that even with like it being a wasteland apocalypse world. Um, and the thing is that like the, the tone of this book is sometimes just kind of like, hey, we're having an adventure. Um, but considering how much but i think it hurts the book and i also think in in terms of how much sanderson is wor uh, lauded for his world building i was really surprised at how shallow it is it's very simple it again it is mainly just either fan like our world <laughs> from different time periods plus magic stuff and there's things that he focuses a lot on they're still simple but it, it this isn't deep world building uh and and so miss out or not miss Alice snow ice willow makes the point i guess uh to me i don't understand why you need a whole new world it feels like that's it's the story that's important my point is you can have the exact same story but within a world that feels like it actually developed because that's the thing this doesn't feel like a world that a thousand years ago suddenly got a magical nobility it just feels like our world and some people have nobility and nobody thought about what the ramifications or impact of that was. You don't need it to tell this story, but I argue it would make it better. I argue that you do, actually. You made the point in a, a previous video that Star Wars can be in a fantasy world and that's fine. It doesn't really change anything. Um, 
this story is tied to its world really heavily you can't just transport this into another world this is a story this is not like um you know there are certain plots that can just be done in different worlds and it's fine without really changing that much um you know 50 shades of gray is for example uh you can just file off the serial numbers and it's a fine well it's a, a crime against humanity but it, the this the it functions similarly and the world building does not matter it, it could be at any point in history pretty much um and in this case it does i think the the plot really hinges a lot on like the lord ruler um the subjugation of the ska the conditions that rin had to grow into uh, adulthood in terms of this how the ska are treated in the city and then her whole emotional crux about trusting people or not um it was really subtle in the book i don't know if you guys got it but she has trust issues yeah i i do want to just like say uh ice Willow, we need to talk over discord because like i understand what you're saying and i get it and i kind of agree with you but they're also like kind of right but like the thing is i think you could have told the same story because you're right ice willow you don't need this stuff to tell the story he did i will would argue you do i still say that it being missing is actually a point in its favor for certain reasons i would say that it would it wouldn't detract and it would just add to and make like because again it's like you can have the the story stay exactly the same but just have a richer like lore behind it because that's the thing this book proposes like and miss alley is also right because like there is a lot more that comes into this yeah this is 24 hours yeah but it's still a trilogy it was meant to be a trilogy it's designed for a trilogy format there's three days of constant listening in this i think it could fit some more cool stuff in the first book keep in mind like certain books that are written kind of similar to the list like wheel of time for example wheel of time is 14 books 15 15 books and all of them we, yeah wheel of time is like I don't know what it is in audio because I actually read them, but like that would easily be just as long, if not like some books a little bit longer than this. So you're looking at like 15 days of straight listening that it's, it is what it is. Like, it's just a different format. Like Maria, you were complaining that like, there's too much lore dump compared to Gideon. Cause like Gideon, you get everything over the course of like the whole, whole books. You get enough in this book to understand everything in context of itself, and then it builds and becomes more detailed in the rest. Like this, all everything that you have in this book is necessary for you to know, like right away, and then it builds on it. It's just, it, this isn't this isn't everything. My point is not that there is something that is missing, and you thus you don't understand the story because there is world building that hasn't been told to you. My point is just it feels like Versailles plus Russian proletariat plus magic and i think it could have been a little bit more creative without detracting from the story itself and the other thing is cool stuff is just cool like why not have cool stuff in a book this is a big investment in time make it worth you know the, worth the time to put into it come up with cool stuff and again sanderson has um a, a reputation as like a really good world builder so it was just very odd to me going into that he's a very straightforward world builder that that is what i will say it doesn't even make sense it's not even like he really thought through the implications but in a kind of boring practical way but that's the thing is he he had a practical idea and within the logic he lays out for the world he follows that and i think that's what people appreciate versus people who world build and might have a little bit more complex ideas for their world building but they don't they can't follow an internal logic because it doesn't exist 
And I think that is where he might get lauded because of that, because there are a lot of fantasy books where it's a super intense like world. There's a lot of differences, but because they lack an internal logic and thus readers feel like they're all over the place with it. The world building in Mistborn in particular to me is like, you are given like the log book as like the, the before the chapter starts, like the log book for it. Um, and that gives you a glimpse into like how things used to be and like some things that go on. Like it doesn't go into full enough detail. Um, but like for me, it's kind of like, and like, again, could there have been more like cool things that made the cultural feel different, like more depth? Sure. That's fine. But like, as far as like the world building, like the, the log book and other things like in Mistborn in particular is supposed to leave you like, there's a lot of unanswered questions. Like how did we get to this point? Why are things like this? What's with the volcano? Like you don't get all the answers in this book. It's supposed to like present those questions so that you read the next book. I agree that like there is obviously things we're going to learn in the next books. And that is not at all what Will and I are commenting on. Adding little details that like, oh, well the Mistborn would be heads of their houses. Like makes sense. Could have changed it. Would have probably improved it. But is it a problem that they're not? No. The Lord Ruler, our like immortal God King dude, he had a prophecy. And so at the start of the book, you get little at the beginning of each chapter is a little line of what you find out is a journal where the guy who uh, is the Lord Ruler is writing before he became the God King Lord Ruler. It's his as when he was just a normal baby human, just wandering through the world and it basically starts with the idea of a prophecy and it's something like am can i really be the man that the world says is supposed to hold uh salvation in his arms uh and it's something akin to that i'm pretty damn close he's the hero uh, of ages he's the hero of ages and then the intro to each chapter is a little bit more of his story and then there are parts of the book where eventually they find this logbook, this diary that the lord ruler wrote previously and you get little flashes into what was happening beforehand and basically the idea is in a thousand years ago before this, like a thousand and one years ago, <laughs> uh, this guy was traveling to a different part of the world from where he lived to fulfill this prophecy. There are these uh, group of people called the terrorist men. Um, also, I'm going to have so many. So I have a fundamental with something. Once I finish the book, I have a fundamental issue with the fact that the good guys, like that the good guy was a white guy whose people had subjugated this other people. And then the, one of the subjugated people took over and now he's the evil villain. And oh man, does that feel Mormon as fuck to me? I will say I really did like the log books at first. I thought they were creepy. I thought they were atmospheric. I was like, oh, it's really cool to get this kind of perspective on it. And then the problem is that he runs out of things. If the, if the book is so long, that he can't keep up new things for this guy to say so at a certain point he's just talking about things that don't yeah he's just repeating there's a couple of them that are literally just repeated from the excerpts of the log book and they're just used as chapter intros so i would have liked it a lot more if there was like one at the beginning one in the middle and one towards the end or something like that like, like before each part, each part like exactly yeah. so there was five of them just because you're right it does get very repetitive but initially as you're learning new pieces you're like oh shit what this mystery? I kind of like that it is um, at the start of each chapter because, like, it built, for me at least, it built a uh, connection to, like, this other character, the one who's writing the logbook. Learning more about, like, this other character and, like, his struggle of, like, oh, yeah, 
how could someone go from like this to the Lord ruler? Like what would happen there? Um, getting that reminder of like that, like, uh, dichotomy, um, between the two, like every chapter, like learning a little bit new each chapter and then like realizing that what you've been reading is the same as what the characters are reading. That actually was a really good point for me. So like, if it was just like in front of like parts one, part two, part three, like, I, w- I think that would not have connected to me quite as much. So like, yeah, some of them are repetitive, but some of them are like, ah, I feel so questioning. And then like a couple of chapters later, it's like, ah, I feel so questioning. Like, why does this guy keep questioning whether I'm this dude? Everyone else is cool with it. Why does this guy keep questioning if I'm the <laughs> prophecy? Everybody else is fine with it. Even with the re- repetition, I do actually like it the way it is. I think it could have been improved by just having different things in it. Like like for him to have to have slowed down the progression of it. So instead of starting with the I am the prophet, starting with the I heard somebody tell me this thing I don't believe it start mm-hmm. with disbelief then start with yeah. him believing it and then so i don't think it That's has to be yeah. it's an easy fix but it's not what happened what maria is saying is you can either lengthen out what he was talking about or you can cut how often it is in the story but right now it's like he started writing it one way and thought it was really creepy and then he realized like oh i still have half the book to go but i've set up this 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 uh pattern that i need to follow so let's talk about how like they like to eat a lot or something that never happens i think it can be done better because i like it a lot of like ice willow said i also liked having the bigger connection to the lord ruler who could have been it made the reveal at the end feel like a bigger deal absolutely but i just think by extending where he started in the point of the log book it could have been you could have learned more you could have gone on a greater journey it could have been creepier that's the thing is it, it doesn't feel really creepy i also would have liked if they hadn't read the logbook and at the end of the logbook you understand the twist but they never learned the twist i think that would have been kind of a cool idea but conceptually oh. more difficult yes it you would know have what been i mean where it's, it would have been one of these things where like, as a reader you're like oh my god the other thing is that one way one piece i'm gonna compare this to is the flashbacks in nona the ninth with the emperor the god emperor in that book not the holy emperor on terra god i hated that so much you hated it okay every time there was one of those flashbacks (laughs) i did not understand like i could never understand it's like is this a flashback or is this happening or is this just like her imagination like what is happening Hated it. I don't think you're supposed to know initially, but I yeah. think by the end you're supposed to realize, oh, by the end all. I still had all the same questions as the beginning. By the end, it explicitly states that this is sort of a vision that is being filled in through Harrow's like imagination as well. Like it's not quite. Yeah, and that, that confused me. Like just. But either way, you got such a strong sense from the Emperor of him as like a normal dude who starts to do these things that are not great at all. It's so creepy. Remember just some of those lines, like you know great men don't make mistakes or like there were a couple of just lines there that were so powerful and that's what this felt like to me at the beginning and then not towards the end but again this is actually an aspect of the book i think i i actually pretty much like so we should actually describe the main character so our two main characters the one is named rain um and she is a ska thief girl who has been part of thieving gangs her whole life she had a brother uh and he was a jerk uh physically and a bit physically abusive emotionally uh avoidant distance and a bit abusive um but had always been the person like kind of uh taking care of her and then uh he betrayed her and had told her her entire life everyone will leave you everyone will betray you so as will said no subtlety here she has lots (laughs) of trust issues uh valid valid trust issues uh and she's now by herself trying to make her way through this thieving gang that she's a part of 
uh, with this real shitty uh, thief guy. Uh, and that's our one main character. Our other main character, this improves halfway through the book, but our other main character is a dude named Kelsier, and Sanderson really likes him. Sanderson thinks he's got the, he's the bee's fucking knees. Uh, and for the entire first half of the book, I was like, can you please just get, like, can you put your hand away i can see you being like look how special my boy is he's he's the most special boy he's there's literally a part where he's like guys what are we gonna do for this what's our ideas i need some ideas guys let's do it and everybody's like i don't know i don't know what to do and he's actually i had the idea the whole time i could have just said it but no it's just so annoying for being mormon i would not have thought that sanderson would so have publicly fellated a man as he does in this book with Kelsier. He didn't annoy me I think as much as he annoyed Maria because I just kind of took this book a little bit more By the uh, second half it he stops doing it as much. No, to me he, it annoyed me more. Uh, I, I think the problem is that Kelsier is too perfect but he's also supposed to be this kind of uncompromising, slightly obsessed character. He He's like Billy Butcher from The Boys but like not as well sketched. And not as charismatic, let's be real. Miss Ally Snow goes, Kel should have actually used the phrase, think outside the box, guys. <laughs> I'm not in the box, I'm outside the box. I left the box nine years ago. The thing is, he, he's too much both avenging angel and, um, clever trickster i would have liked to have had leaned in either direction more like a slightly unhinged avenging angel or like more of a trickster who was trying to do the right thing but right now he just comes off as like a good dude all around and then towards the end when we start getting into the jesus stuff i just didn't like that i just i just didn't like that at all it's not great and it definitely spanks it's not terrible for me that wasn't as big of a deal i would have see the thing i liked and that i wanted more of was him being a father figure to Ben, which we get a little bit of, but like, that's a dynamic I love. I love, I, and it's a really easy one and it didn't land it as much as I wish it, it, it could have, but again, he was too busy being all these other things and it's fine. But anyway, Kelsier is uh, a ska. He was a ska thief lord. He, uh, he basically ran a really successful thieving gang, did lots of jobs, was got really rich. And then eventually one day he got too bold uh, and he got caught and then sent to the mines of Hath Sin or it's a prison where people go to die and he escaped. And now he is like a mythic figure where people are like, oh, the survivor of Hath Sin. Oh, look at, and he's like, look at the scars upon my arms. I have scars. Uh, I am the baddest ass. Um, and he does do a lot of things that I think are really interesting that I didn't expect from him. Like at the, at the start, I was not expecting him to completely demolish the entire plantation. Uh, yeah. Like, and, but it also, there is a part towards the end where I went, oh, so you didn't need an army at any point to do this you could have done this part of the plan why did we need the army you could have done it yourself the garrison could have come out thinking it was an attack you did not we did not need those hundreds of pages describing the fucking you did it by yourself get the fuck out of here and again it's one of those things where i don't think sanderson thought it through because having Kel do it completely by himself and take down the minds of Hassan, which was the whole reason they needed like a huge chunk of the army. And then to have, cause it, he didn't even need them to attack it. He could have just like kept a couple thousand men outside the city. He could have taken down the mines. And then as the garrison left, he could have just, what plan? <laughs> this is, like, by having him do it, it was a badass moment in the moment. Cause you're like, God damn Kel snap. But then I was like, so taking down the pits of health help, Hathson actually in the book is not the reason Garrison left. Like, 
I don't know if him taking that down would have been enough of a reason for the garrison to leave. But no, that was their plan. That was their logistics. When they first discussed it, the whole point was they were taking the army, they were going to attack because they didn't need a big army to attack the pits. If they attacked the, the mines, then the garrison would leave, go there, and then they would have enough time to get back around because by the time news got there. So... You're right. That's not what ended up happening because Yidin got over... Uh, I think what I mean more so is just like seeing an army marching would give them enough time for the garrison to get out of the city. Whereas him just like appearing and being done in like two hours, the garrison wouldn't respond to that. Well, no, the whole point was they weren't supposed to see them attack it. They What was supposed to happen is they attack the mines. By the time the garrison gets news, they've already started traveling back secretly. And then the garrison, so that they're there by the time the garrison leaves. So that doesn't matter. They, they, like, none of that, and it is all absolutely obliterated as a logistical point when Kelsier does the entire thing fucking solo. Because you can have one or the other. Either that was the plan and you needed an army to do it, or Kelsier could have done it. Because, again, it would have made way more sense to just be like, we're going to round up 4,000 men, we're going to hide them over here. Kelsier will attack the the mines. He will demolish it. They'll think an army has attacked it because they won't know any better. They'll send the garrison out and then we take the city. So I could also point out, Kelsier might not have thought that he could do it by himself originally. Because like he was, a lot happened that like kind of inspired him to have to go do that. I know, but it, why would he have thought, like, what about his skills changed that he suddenly thought he could do? So not necessarily enough about his skills, but more about like him coming to like terms with the pits because there's a lot of like anxiety about it at the start where he's like, I don't know if I can ever go back. Like, I don't really want to like X, Y, Z. And then like by the end, he's like, no, this is what I have to do now. But like, as far as making a plan, like at this point where they start the book, like he would not have, I don't know if he would have had the confidence to think that he could go do that by himself. I mean, I guess, but it's still just, it it makes... I mean, he has the confidence that he's going to be able to pull off this incredible roulette where he trains his squad to be politicians and stuff. Yeah, but the Pits of Helsin was a very specific thing for him. Like, that was... That was a lot of, like, trauma, like, avoidance. Like, Okay, so here's the problem with that. The book isn't emotional enough to sell that. We don't get him, like, hyperventilating beforehand. We don't get him constantly shying away from thoughts of it. When he does get there, he's remarkably like, oh, I thought it would be worse when I got here. So in terms of the emotional stakes, you need to sell that as an emotional thing that he can't that he has do. To get and we don't, there's no depth of emotion to these characters enough to make that. He's halfway through the book. He's able to get down into a pit that looks really like the pits of Hassan just fine. Like that happens well before this. Well, it, I wouldn't say just fine because like he does struggle with it. He has that like mental issue with it. And again, this is like the emotionality level thing that we're, we were talking about earlier of like the it's written there. Like it, it's told to you. Like he does like having to go into those caverns that look like the pits is part of what like gave him the confidence that he could go do it. Like it's not, it wasn't just like, a, Oh, I'm just going down now. Like he was, having a minor panic attack during it. So, fair enough. So, Miss Ali Snow does make a point. Yeah, the original plan wasn't to destroy the pits, just to fake out the garrison. 
but why not? Like, again, to have one person to be able to do this thing that they were supposed to just fake out. The reason why not is because they were saying that they will need the money from the ATM to fund their new government. And if they destroy the pits, like that ATM, they won't necessarily have it for long enough. Those are two different things he did. He destroyed the mine, like the, he killed all the people at the thing. He freed the prisoners. That is what they like were planning to do. He, he added a third thing of destroying the ATM, but that was like a separate thing. And that was his own thing. That's not what they had, but attacking the, that mine and threatening it and freeing people had always been something that they talked about. So yes, he did add the destroying the ATM, which hadn't been part of their plan. But again, he could have done the entire attack, make a threat on the garris the, the um, mines so that, they would send the garrison out. There's a lot of parts of his plan that are a little bit like, why did we do it this way? This is a little overly complicated. Um, but the point is that he has been hired. He wants to take down the government, basically. He's he's revolutionary. Um, the Ska rebels have never been able to do something. And he's like, it's because you guys are thinking like Ska or soldiers or like rebels or something. But we, we've run heists. So we know how to do tough things. We know how to change the paradigm and think outside the box. And okay, so there's a problem in this book where the plotting of the rebellion feels so pedestrian and so much like they were just like, hey, let's fix these simple problems. This or let's fix these problems like this. And it works out on paper. And we're, we they literally have a whiteboard where they're brainstorming ways to take down an empire and it just feels far too straightforward this actually didn't bother me a huge amount because again the tone of the book is kind of very straightforward in that way but i do wish that like you know we made the complaint in iron widow that like you can't just have social movements from nowhere and it's kind of like there really should be like a marx figure in this book like there's one point where uh kelsier is very like adamant on the ska not being genetically dumber than nobility and he feels very strongly about this and i'm like but why where did that where did that come from like wh what are these underground texts that you're reading there, there aren't any but like he just suddenly has a very modern viewpoint on what's been a thousand years of a fascist state again this should be a lot more 1984 like newspeak where they're trying to actually get rid of language that allows you to rebel um and he instead is just a fairly enlightened person and so this this he comes out enlightened out the gate because one of the the things we spoke about yesterday was that it does there are ska that think they are inferior but you we don't as readers interact with any of them outside as just third party like brief interactions and and it comes up way more at the end than it does for the entire three-fourths first three-fourths of the book you get way more of the ska people like there's literally a part where they're like we took down this house and the ska are like but who's going to pay us and and they're like no 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 guys <laughs> No, no, no. No, you they don't. actually said who's going to feed us. But it's like, well, oh, no. And and so, like, that moment, I was like, oh, there's that thing I've been asking for. But I would have liked if there had just been a little bit more of it. And, and I do agree that it would have been nice to see, like, how did this character, like on an intellectual level, get to this point. Because on an emotional level, how did he want to rebel? I got that. I believe that. But on an mm -hmm. intellectual, it's just like... I, I, in general, like feminist, it would have been a nice arc where he just started more with rage and then was able over time to think about it. I mean, and that's the other thing is right from the beginning, he's worried about like what successor state is going to take over from the the administration as now, and I would have liked to see more of that 
growth in the actual book where maybe he just starts with let's rip it all down and then he grows to be more like okay this is what we need to do to to make sure the closest we get to that is him being like nobles are entirely bad and then by the end he's like ah, eh, maybe the nobility aren't that bad but i would have liked it to have been much more like you're saying will where it's about a bit more like social about like what what does society need to look like instead of burning it down no 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 no. instead of doing that what are we going to do instead but it's fine it's it's neither here nor there anyway kelsier is doing a plot uh, he wants to take down the government. He ends up finding, like, because of Rin, uh, she has this thing called luck. She's able to get people not to hit her as hard or to stop hitting her or to leave her alone. And she calls it her luck because she has uh, bits of it inside her that she can access and it helps her survive. Um, and because of this, it's actually uh, a magic system uh, that she uses. And it ends up getting attracted by some of the people we talked about earlier that are the bureaucratic uh, um people and so she gets targeted but as this happens Kelsier and his band of merry uh heisters happen to uh, happen upon her and and he realizes oh you're not just because to have power and and here's the brief description of the magic system there are metals where if ingested people who are allomancers can access certain powers from their metals within their digestive system like within their stomach it can't be digested once it's digested they don't have access to it so they don't they can't use iron in their blood and uh, I, that it has to just be in their stomach. And each of the different uh, metals gives them different things. So pewter makes you strong. Uh, iron can, I think iron's the pushy one. We need to talk about how this is the most boring version of this magic system possible. There's one cool thing people can do, which is that they can push metals or pull metals and they will push or pull. Um, and then everything else is like, um, if you burn copper, you'll get stronger or no, like you're i don't care and so they're like it's the most boring version it's not like you know over time parts of their body start to turn into like metal or something like that or um it's not something where like you become anemic from burning iron in your blood or you get lead poisoning from eating all this lead uh, you also just can't do anything cool with the powers again it's not like you can turn other people into metal that would be a dope power um there's two that are described that are kind of cool gold can show you past versions of yourself which doesn't make any sense with the rest of the magic system which just seems to affect physics a little bit but it's it's like a kind of a cool thing will wants more of a fantasy magic system out of this and this is sci-fi magic no i want dope shit i there's I dope shit in fantasy there's dope shit in real life science i want cool things why do something boring when you could do something interesting the magic system here is for a lot of people one of the selling features like Steven really likes it and he likes that how it also you get the idea that there are missing elements and it functions a bit more like the periodic table where uh, there are places where you have these eight elements and they're doing things but it feels like there are holes in it and so he knew from the start because of how things were described that like the periodic table where there's a hole you know there's something that's supposed to fill it so for him he knew there were going to be other elements that did other things because there were holes like some of them are tied together and then others of them aren't like the the gold and what it's, it's a very logic based magic system which is very rare and is also very amazing no 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 how does burning tin make you hear better what's logical about that i'm not saying that a particular like it's not scientific it is just it, it, it performs i get it it's a hard magic system yeah it, it's and that's fine but why can't the hard magic system do cool shit you can fly through the air and murder people no, like that's those are the cool 
well, murdering people you can do anyway. Uh, the Again, the pushing and the pulling of the magnetics, that's cool, but that's the only cool metal thing that you can do with it. And so, like, if you're going to have a magic system, have it do cool stuff. That's all I demand. I think it's just your definition of cool. That's the... Which of the powers did you feel was really cool besides the pushing and pulling? I think um, all of them are really cool because, like, being able to, like, have enhanced senses from 10, like, that would be exceptionally useful. So like, that's that's useful, I, so I think the, the difference between... But that's what I was saying. Is like, it's his definition of what is cool. Like, for me, anything that, like, does something... So all magic systems are equally cool, then? No. Well, I mean, they all well, have you do something. I mean, I'm not in... I, I don't rate different magic systems, so... <laughs> what I will say is, like, I like this one in particular because, like, it makes sense. Like, within the, within the rules that it sets for itself, it makes perfect sense. Whereas, like... Other magic systems are like, ah, yes, you can now turn something purple. And then like all of a sudden it's like, you know, it's random. Like D&D magic is really cool. You can do cool shit, but like it's random. Like it, there's no coherent reason why you can like talk to a plant and also like write in the clouds. Like there's no reason other than it's magic and magic can do anything. Like, so like I, I like this one because like there are like, it's even described in the book. It's like you, it's a direct like, um, a direct line when you're pushing and pulling, like you can't like swing out and do other things unless you're pulling on something else, like else, like because like that's how you when you're pushing or pulling something, like you're pulling it directly or like forward or away from you. So like I like that it's like rules restricted. A couple of people have to answer you will have said the uh manipulating emotions yeah. is cool copper and brass are probably the least interesting and the emotional manipulation the rioting versus soothing Reese turns it into like something amazing i think controlling emotions is conceptually somewhat interesting i don't think the way it's done in the book is interesting and i, I it's still a very standard power and really has nothing to do with metal like again if you're gonna do a metal system then do something cool with the metal so i think what will is wanting is it for it to he, he wants artificer magic like that's what he wants <laughs> i want something cool dope whatever is whatever whatever is cool and dope that just but, isn't what this is like but also it's not something that i know it's isn't. boring for but you. also something that feels like if it reflected the nature of the metal it was using uh, in in a more i would appreciate way. that being a little bit more because that's his point that he's saying well what does emotional manipulation have to do with the metals themselves you so could having burn the metals, iron in someone's blood so that all of a sudden they start feeling weak that's a cool that's a cool metal shit that controls people's feelings um you know something like that where it's and i don't have a problem with it being a hard magic system where there's things that like it consistent rules that are very clearly laid out i think hard magic systems are okay i like soft ones more but it's more just that it can't really do a lot and it's like if we're gonna do something cool do something cool if the metal like had more like phys like you know because metals have certain properties and if those properties translated to like what you were talking about like more like that would probably add to it but like pewter pewter makes you stronger because that's just what pewter does here like would iron make you stronger that would that make more sense probably because like that would be strengthening the iron in your blood and like that would make sense so miss ally snow says metal is just the vehicle and that that's honestly it this is this magic system has an its own internal logic that it follows it has uh and it is simple and it is straightforward and so for a lot of people where they don't like the and again, I think this book appeals to people who don't want like a standard fantasy story because this is not like a standard fun. Again, it feels more like sci-fi. I, I would say that the magic in Nine Fox, which was based on math, 
was cooler in in the terms of but but one of the problems we had with that was it didn't feel like it had any internal logic and so you mm-hmm. just have two ends of the spectrum one which is you've got a really strong internal logic but it's going to be very simple and straightforward and then the other end like with uh nine fox which we also had an issue where it was doing a lot of cool shit but it made no sense why it was doing it and it was also couched in math so it should have been a little bit more straightforward if you ask me but that's a that's a topic for another video that we already talked about um and so I think it's just like to your taste with that one. Listen, there's some of the other things like the culture stuff. And like, if you have a magical nobility class that existed a thousand years ago, it probably should affect what society looks like today. That I think we can all, and we have yeah. agreed that that is a thing, but I think as far as the magic system, that comes down to personal taste. Cause I've heard from enough people, like, like Steven only has positive things to say about it. And like, I have to trust that the people I like that I think of as smart are not like no. just suddenly dumb. No, 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 no. You should never trust that other people are inherently smart. Even smart people make very dumb decisions. You should have to think through it. You just want a different type of magic. Like, it's not even that this one's right or wrong. You just want something different because, like, that's what you like. Again, I, I, I don't have a problem with it being all of the things you're describing are a hard magic system, and that's fine. I'm saying that what this hard magic system can do is not very interesting. To you. Like, that's what I'm saying. No, because if it's a very common thing, then by definition, it's not very interesting because we've seen it a bunch of times. The thing about books is that they are taking place within a discourse. If you are, you know, if you went back to, okay, when the first Frankenstein came out, people in theaters fainted. And we're talking the, the black and white version where they play piano for the music and there are subtitles. If you show that film now, it's not scary at all. But back then, because of the discourse they were entering, that's very scary. At this point, getting stronger physically and manipulating emotions and senses is not interesting. Burning metal inside of you, that is interesting. And, but the, the things it can do are- And pushing and pulling the metal, that's yes. not a thing you see. So, okay, I understand what you're saying. I, I get it now. Um, and so you're right. It's a lot of the like other powers are not new or like complex ideas that are being added to the canon of what magic like stuff can do. But mm-hmm. again, I think it just works for some people. I, I think the prosecution will rest. I would prefer yours. I I would prefer yours, but I understand why this works. And I think uh, for me, just having something that follows within the realm of like its own internal logic, because like we've had so many that don't, and you're just like, why the fuck is this? Why do shadows have? physical presence why can shadows cut things i still don't why understand that that's so cut stupid things? cut they got the best like propaganda ministers um a couple comments really quick continuing uh they they recruit then and they have a whole i'm not going to go into all the individual casts but everybody so there are mistings which are people that can use one alimentic power so they can burn copper or they can burn pewter but they can't do everything people who can do everything they're misborn way more rare and only the nobility should be able to do with this but uh, as we talked about earlier sometimes the nobility just sleeps with the ska and sometimes they don't kill them before they have children so there are half nobility half ska people running around doing things um and our main character vin is one of those and so is kelsier uh and then everyone else in the book uh, outside of one other character is basically a misting. They can burn one of the metals. Uh, and basically they're doing, they're planning a heist that is also a rebellion where they're being hired by the leader of the ska rebels 
uh, to raise an army and get the garrison out of the city so that they can attack. They're going to create a house war uh, to get all the noble houses to fight and collapse on themselves, which would fundamentally ruin the economy. And then they're going to attack. Their plan is to attack the castle um, where the Lord Emperor lives, steal all of his ATM, which is this uh, other, it's the 10th medal. And it, it allows you to see the future, like t- five seconds into the future, um, which is really valuable if you're fighting people who don't also have ATM. But anyway, he, the Lord Ruler has made like diamonds. He's made an art- artificial scarcity where he has stockpiles of it apparently, and he's getting it from this mine, uh, but he sells it to other people uh, piece by piece, uh, and to drive the cost of it up. And they were like, if we get the ATM, if we crush, if we get the noble houses to crush each other and we take over the city, um, we will be able to successfully take control of the city. Whatever happens afterwards happens afterwards. And then Kelsier, you also find out has big beef. I'm talking big beef with the Lord ruler and he, buddy boy wants to try, uh, kill him. He actually has a whole other plan that despite that we spend so much time in his head, he never once thinks <laughs> yeah, about. That's funny. Like, he's just like, he's just like, I'm gonna hide this from myself because we're in his head. <laughs> um, but he ha- has an other overarching plan that you learn about. But anyway, um, and part of the plan that they need to do is get Vin to disguise herself as a noble lady to, they had another person that was supposed to do it, but then something happened to him. And so they need Vin to pretend to be a noble lady to get into these uh, balls and parties to hear what the nobility are saying and to see if the rumors and stuff that they are starting and the killings they're going to do if they land the way they're supposed to. Well, okay, so here's the problem, is that, you know, uh, Sanderson has explicitly said that this is like a pretty woman plot, right? Which is like, you know, the the low-class woman having to learn to fit in society kind of thing. But what's weird is that I don't think he understands why that kind of a plot is fun, because, like, there's no scene here where, like, you know, there's the hilarious montage of her trying to walk with a plate on her head while somebody tells her, you know, you gotta think about your manners or whatever, or, you know, like, those kinds of scenes that are like really fun and interesting and the whole idea of like the double consciousness that comes with living with these people there's a little bit of that but because Sanderson isn't very good at describing complex things in people's heads it's kind of just very explicitly stated and kind of happens off screen of you know her learning to bond with with the nobility um and and i will say that like this is a more interesting idea than a lot of the books we've read a lot of the books we've read wouldn't even really be like mention it um like i I can't remember which one i'm thinking of right now but there's there's certain books we've read where like they just don't even have thoughts that would make vague sense or or emotional stakes whereas here vin is like somewhat conflicted about like oh the nobility's good but like then they also kill people she definitely has an internal uh, internality to her like there are yes there are thoughts versus some of the books where the characters have no internality like they're only dealing with what is happening to them in that moment and reacting where vin Mm -hmm. very much has again uh and i say this not derogatorily it is very straightforwardly given to you yeah and again even some of the ideas so like even um vin's brother um having been abusive is treated with more nuance than it would be in other books where he would just be a cackling bad guy like we've read so many of those here it's treated as like she did value him she did love him he was abusive and then we find out at the end that like he was abusive but he didn't 
betray her when it came down to the moment and like that's a complexity a lot of books we've read haven't and that's one of the things that makes this book aggressively fine is like the idea is there it's just not as explored as it could be or the emotional stakes of it and again Vin kind of learning to like the nobility kind of happens off screen there's not a lot of screen time but something really important does happen the first time she goes to court do you know what I'm talking about Maria yes she meets we get our second character who's female and talks I'm just kidding. It's the third one. There was Vin, the hairdresser, the and hairdresser now we get Shan. There's three women in this entire. And there's also this like spy, this informant lady, but like she shows up for two scenes and says like three <laughs> sentences total. But like that's it. In this entire giant 24 hour book, there are four women who have speaking lines. Vin is the only one with more than like three pages of speaking lines. Again, I don't sense malice from this. It really does feel like he just doesn't understand that like I, I think somebody he's actually said in interviews he just didn't think about it he just pictured all the characters as as male and that if he were to go back he would make several of them female um because it is weird we don't even get like the standard heist sexy woman um and you know Not he's that you mormon. need that but like but like that's such a stock character you would think it uh, he's mormon um and from what i understand he's approved a lot in later books um so it's uh, to me it didn't feel malicious it just felt mormon and ignorant or not ignorant, but just not like something he thought about. Lindbergh, uh, the four women that have actual lines, Vin, Shan, Cliss, the hairdresses, <laughs> whose name everyone has forgotten. <laughs> like, again, I don't think it was malicious. I don't think he's he was be It just like <laughs> he, he was young and he didn't think about it. Also, I realized why I said second book. It's his second published book. Oh, interesting. He wrote other ones. He's written other ones that were written oh. before this. This just was a second published. That's why that number was in my head. Vin has to start going to balls. Um, she goes to one and it goes relatively after two months of training. And so there's a character I have to talk about because he's like the best part of this book. His name is Sazed. Uh, and he is a terrorist man. Uh, and he is just... So the terrorist men are a group of people who have been very, like, if the Ska have been subjugated, the terrorist men are, like, the Native Americans of the group where they are being systematically just genocided. Um, they're, uh, Eugenics, essentially, is going on with them to try to make them more subservient. And they're kind of like the butler class. And also to keep them from like making more <laughs> yeah they're they're um castrated um early on um and so Sazed is really cool he's very foreign coded in the voice that the audiobook um narrator does for him the audiobook narrator by the way is really great i think one of the reasons a lot of the dialogue worked for I me is that he's very really i love uh, his growl so boring he it literally <laughs> it literally took me like five chapters to get past because he's so monotone with every like there's no emotion to anything he reads things so flatly i <laughs> dislike this guy so much by the end it got better because you get so used to his monotoneness that you can start picking out the times where it's <laughs> he's doing shifts and like he does good accents but oh my god was he boring to listen to like i literally could not listen to this in the gym for the for the majority of the book because the very lifting like taxing my body made it so i couldn't pay attention to this man's <laughs> voice Ugh. 
<laughs> I hated it. I was about to say I don't have a strong feeling on this, um, but uh, Maria clearly does. Um, <laughs> anyway, says it. Um, he's kind of again like a butler type person, and he's going to teach her to like be good at nobility stuff. And again, that all happens off screen. You know, it's weird how much stuff happens off screen for such a long book versus what happens on screen. <laughs> yeah, it, like it's such There's a long so book. Words. I like him because I like the idea of so one of the things with the uh, terrorist men is some of them are keepers that uh, store knowledge and I liked this idea of just this very proper noble and bearing guy who was just like you want to hear about this religion in case you want something to believe in and he just like offers and just tries to throw and I w- actually wish that would have come up more because the first time it comes up you realize that he has had this conversation with Vin a lot where mm-hmm. he's been throwing but the first time it comes up she's like again and you're like I would have liked to see the first time he did it and for her to go, what the fuck are you talking? What is a religion? Like there's one, there is one. And cause like, that's fascinating. There is yes. one. And people don't even think about the fact that there used to be a different thing. That it's religion is a foreign concept. Cause this is just a way of life. It is the one and only thing there. So to realize other people believed other things. What a cool scene to see. By the time we interact with those two characters with this, she's heard this so many times. She's not even phased. She's just like, no, say it. I don't need a religion. I am good. Again, this should be a lot more of 1984. We have always been at war with East Asia or Oceania or whatever it is, where it's been like, it's been a thousand years. Like their religions have been hunted down and slaughtered hundreds of years ago. Like it, it really should. He's mentioned at certain points that like the, the Lord ruler is like, um, you know, the earth or like the sky or something like that. But like the characters don't really feel like that. They're all very nonchalant about essentially destroying an element of their world, which is what they think what they should think the lord ruler is like um and again this is sort of a this is an aspect where the world building and how the characters are written doesn't really match i would have again thought you you need to go more grim dark or less grim dark with it in terms of how the characters think about it but celia made the the point uh says it and his knowledge were the best part of the book and made it a lot richer and it does his talking about these different religions and also how they like when they finally were taken down by the lord ruler added that uh, like it's 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 the most cultural flair you're gonna get <laughs> and i and i just like says that he was just cute and he was so sweet and he was so friendly and then when he saved her from the fucking uh, in- inquisitors inquisitors that was a badass scene and i was like who the fuck is this bad and then she was like and then it was a kind face and i was like it's my good boy says it like he's he's the best not as good as shan Alarial, but go ahead okay get out of here no nobody <laughs> nobody agrees with you get out <laughs> you have specific taste she goes to her first ball and she meets a character named uh ellen he is reading at a ball and uh she's like you're just gonna read and this is uh her love interest i actually like ellen as a character I like the idea of a philosopher, like reformed angsty teen boy who is now super into philosophy and stuff, but who is unwilling to actually like do anything. He's engaging with the ideas intellectually and then having to come to terms with, no, you can't just engage with them on an intellectual level. You have to do the thing. I wish we would have gotten a little bit more of that development from him. Like it happened because he's not a main character. It happens very like quickly. Um, but anyway, love interest, they're going to interact a couple times. He's going to read a lot. They're going to have, a, like, repartee. I thought it was fine. I didn't think it was particularly strong or particularly weak. Some people really liked it. I thought that the book thought they were love interest too much. Uh, I would have 
Uh, I buy that Rin just has a crush on a, a pretty boy. Yeah, I thought he was fine. Again, this is a case where, like, the Marxism really should have been in here more. It, we're, we're, it's like child's first um oppressive regime a lot of the times with sanderson where like he kind of understands what a suppressive regime is supposed to be like but then he doesn't quite get like material conditions that like i, I kept expecting somebody to talk about that because they're either like the nobles are good or they're bad um and then it's like well it actually has to do with whether they see their own conditions changing and it has to do with who they're around one idea that isn't in the book but i just think would have been more interesting is if the nobles were actually not in control but were just kind of like like um not fat cows but just like bovine almost in that they're kept as a better treated class but they're not actually in control of anything but they aren't in that's exactly they're, they're what they just are. They're rich merchants. Merchants. yeah they're just rich merchants they, 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 they have no political control they have no political control. But no, no no i'm saying but in terms of like even how they treat the ska because they treat the ska really brutally and they think they're in control of things they are kind of a well they're not a middle management class which is actually probably one of the biggest problems with the world building is there should be a middle management class that's how oppressive regimes work the closest we get is the ministry they are mm -hmm. the they are the only political side the book is going to talk a lot about house politics and a house war they do have a lot of power in that respect um because they have a lot of like assassins and stuff but like sanderson again doesn't really have any specifics when it comes to the war so it's never clear why houses are doing things it just kind of happens off screen that they're not getting along um again kind of fascinating how much of this book happens off screen i'm okay with them just being a versailles merchant class like that for me isn't something that I needed or not like no, no no i don't think it's bad as it is i just think that would have been more interesting she meets ellen they they flirt after her first ball she follows kelsier because kelsier fucks off at night a lot to go do shit um and she's like where does he go because like uh start of the book vin is very much like he's hiding things from me i trust no one <laughs> i need to know where he's going and he's not telling me and, and he's doing it because like the, the you're you're a brand new alimentic baby. Why am I going to take you to dangerous <laughs> things? Go to sleep. You need to sleep. Uh, and she follows him. And eventually he's like, listen, I'm going to go do something very dangerous. And she's like, I'm going to follow you anyway. And basically he's going to, he tries to break into the Lord uh, Ruler's castle, palace thingy, to go to this one room and find out what's in there. But they are intercepted by um, Inquisitor. Inquisitors. I don't know why that, like of all the things <laughs> I'm remembering, that is that that's the one that's slipping me today but anyway uh and what happened you find out that this is a repeat because the when he got caught and sent to prison it was because him and his wife mayor uh had tried to break into this exact room they planned for a year to try get into this space and when they got there there were inquisitors waiting for them and so he's trying to like he told nobody he was going to do this he decided on this day that he was going to do it so he's like because there's this whole thing that mayor's the one who betrayed him and uh, Mare's the one who uh, got him capped it, uh, caught, and then she ended up getting sent to the pits as well. Um, and so it's very tragic because he loved her. He loved her a lot. And like, did she betray him? Did she not? Uh, and he's like, how did the Inquisitors know we were going to be there? So he thinks by going last minute, not telling anyone, there will be no Inquisitors. There are. There is a battle. They are more interested in Vin than they are in Kelsier because they're like, who is your father? And she's like, I, I'm just vibing. Uh, and there's a little bit of a battle. Uh, Kelsier gets uh, separated from her. And then this is where Sazed comes in like the badass. Mwah angel he is and saves her um she's out of court for she has to heal up because she ends up getting stabbed on the side she's out of court for a couple of months she ends up going back they do stuff the plan they're building up their army you had a lot of scenes of 
them, or not a lot, but a couple scenes of them doing recruitment for the army. They're uh, training the army in these caves, uh, which were not described as expansive enough to run drills in, but it's whatever. That's a nitpicky point that I don't have to do. <laughs> they were very close quartered. I don't know how you train people to fight with spears or swords in such close quarters, but that's me. This whole time, uh, uh, Kelsier has also been logging a lot of FaceTime with the soldiers and with a lot of the other ska um, to present himself as like, you know, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, the, the survivor or whatever. And he's also talked about how there's a 10th medal that can kill the 11th. Lord, 11th medal that can, that can kill the Lord ruler um, and kind of just setting that up in the background as like a legend. And he's, he's very much making a myth out of himself. Uh, and everybody in the heist party is like, um, buddy, why are you doing this? Are you going to try big? Are you going to be the new uh, Lord Ruler? What are we doing? But anyway, uh, before their plan can really come to fruition, uh, Yeden, the guy who's in charge of the rebels, gets put in charge of the uh, their army for a little bit. And he decides to sh- get the men some practical uh, fighting experience. And they attack the garrison. And the entire army gets slaughtered just outright fucking demolished except for a couple of people that stayed back in the caves just knocked out actually this is a good time to talk about it there's uh, a few things that happen one is that afterwards kelsier goes and sees the survivors um and this should be an emotionally really powerful scene because um you know he's failed these men they have died they have been slaughtered because of him this is a, a low point in his plan it's the whole dark night of the soul part of a book um and you would think he was eating a sandwich on a rock with all the emotions he feels in the text um and it's this is one of those times where it's like it's okay for the book to be kind of at this level of emotion for a lot of it and just kind of witty and then like this needs to be a moment where you feel that he failed or that he's angry or just the despair um and we do also get an interesting kind of world building thing about there's an old ska guy there and he's like yeah, you weren't going to take down the Lord Ruler. You did really good. You, 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 you know, you raised a big army and stuff. Like, chill out. Um, like, this is all we can expect. And he's like, ah, oh, the Pesca will never be unoppressed. Um, which, A, uh, there's this thing where, like, I don't understand why the city Ska are so different than the field Ska, but whatever. Um, and I wish that had just been played with a little bit more in terms of the idea of this being the final empire, you know, as it's called. I brought up this exact moment last night when I was talking with Gina and Stephen about this moment and how, like, it is a massive amount of men dead. It is a huge wrench in the machinery of their that they have to bounce back from. But both Stephen and Gina expressed that they did not want and an emotion like they they wanted him to acknowledge that this was a terrible thing which the book says it says it's a terrible thing how could this happen um but they had no interest in having that emotional beat followed through on and and that's what I say where when I mean that's what I mean when I say that uh I think depending on who you are and what you want out of it, like the emotionality would be a detriment to you versus a positive. Cause there have been times in books where like Gina and I have talked about a scene and a scene that I felt was very impacting detracted from Gina for all the reasons I loved it. And so I, uh, we've, We've talked about this a lot. If you like emotionality, this series, this book might not be for you. We made the point that Feyre in the early parts of Akawar felt like a sociopath because she was doing these terrible things and not really feeling that like bad about having this guard whipped um, nearly to death. 
And that's kind of the thing is that when people lack a certain amount of emotion, A, you stop identifying with them, but B, they come off like a sociopath because people have, it, it is simply unrealistic for him to be so chill about this moment. And it means that he doesn't, he doesn't care about any of this. And so then why should we care about any of this? So Miss Allie Snow says, I don't expect normal emotions from Kel. He's kind of nuts. Lindbergh says, felt true to Kelsier. He was a self-interested <laughs> scumbag as far as I was concerned. And then Miss Allie Snow said, I like emotionality and liked this book. And then she also says, self-interested is the perfect word for Kel. Which, fair. But from the other characters then, like, there's no reason I shouldn't have gotten that out of Vin. You know? like, And again, it tells you she's upset about it, but you don't feel it. And again, depending on who you are, you're going to want it or you're not going to want it. The other problem with this is that this is where this event should kick off the end of the book. It doesn't, for the record. It's about halfway through the book. But this should be the part where the plan went wrong, and all of a sudden they have to scramble to figure out what they're going to do. And then they realize, oh, wait, you know, it was horrible that they all died, but now they're out of the, out of the city. We need to move the plan now. That's how this kind of a plot usually works, is a, it's some, a wrench got thrown into the plan, but we're still going to make it work. That's how, like, all heist movies work. Um, and just plot in general. But... And the thing is, nothing really important happens until the climax of the book after this point. Like, nothing that couldn't have just been moved to before this. Even if you think the book should be as long as it was, this should kick off the ending of the book. Because what happens later is, like, some more stuff kind of goes wrong. And then we get the, the, um, the, the climax and the falling action. And, like, it's just, it's a very turgid way of, of of the plot and it's interesting because i've read i've listened to some of sanderson's lectures and he seems to really know what he's talking about when it comes to plot construction and so like i i guess this is maybe just early in his writing we talked about this last night and they both said because i was like that's when you kick off the rest of the plan and they said but the plan never actually kind of happens it's not actually a heist climax the heist is never the climax and so and at the time i thought okay that means that whatever is going to happen is going to be necessary for whatever the actual climax is. But now that I've finished the book, I think you're right. I think the actual climax could have happened sooner and didn't need the stuff that happened in between to happen. Like nothing, you're right. That information and stuff we get could have happened before the army went mm -hmm. down. And I, I think the climax could have come sooner after that. I don't. What I will say is if he had shifted it to like move everything after to before and then go from that to that, I would be okay with that. I'm just not okay with like it being cut. But if you had shifted it around, yeah. well, cause last night it sounded like you were trying to just like say it could have been cut entirely, but like shifting it would have been fine. I didn't know at the time I hadn't read the book <laughs> to know what was gonna happen. There are some character beats that should be moved earlier, but a lot of the events after that point, I actually just can't even remember, like things continue to deteriorate with the nobles or whatever. And that could have happened before. Yeah, and so like a good mm -hmm. third of this book is like, after this point and before the climate, go ahead. Because here's what I think could have happened because you have like another two months that happens after this point and during it, you're right, the noble stuff deteriorates and eventually the actual house war starts. I think what you should But have I will say though, is that like you do need, like this could not have gone like, oh, we lost this battle instantly go into the climax because like them having enough time to like get out the remaining soldiers like stationed in the city to support the re revolution, that needed to happen. Because otherwise, it wouldn't have worked. 
So I think that could have happened, but very quickly. And the the point that I will make is that what should have happened is that happens. They do the public's execute. Like these are the bare bones of what you need. They do the public's execution. Kel gets really fucking pissed about that, attacks the thing. Then what, what uh, sparks the houses to actually start fucking with each other is less so the machinations that has been the fuel that has been starting it, but the actual big explosion needs to be when the entire, when the, um, uh, like it, it should when the mines were attacked, Venture should have reacted very like it, it, they should have yeah. assumed somebody was attacking them. Somebody figured out that the mines were their thing, and that should have sparked the war. And then uh, was it a sufficient distraction? Well, uh, so basically moving the lost battle backward and moving the attack and halt the pits forward because no, you, can, you can have well, the, them in the, the pits happened. The, the pits happened like right before the ending of the book. Like, it was, like, the day before. Like, they left as a result. So, But my point is moving the space in between this way. So, for instance, yeah. there's the attack on the pit. There's the, the garrison, the, the army getting slaughtered. Then immediately you have the public's execution. Uh, like, they, they get the other people into the city. Public execution. He attacks the um, mines. And then, boom, the climax the fact that we have multiple balls in between that and that we have multiple things where the nobility is not freaking the house venture should be like hastings should have been dead ages ago they should have been like who found out we have to find the rat like that should have been the moment that everything really fucked up and the fact that there are still balls and shit after that is mind-blowing it destroys the momentum of the story that it feels like it's building to and it's also it's such a cool challenge to be like oh shit our plan went completely wrong now we have to push forward from where we were before we talked um you know if it really is emotionally so difficult for cal to go to the mines again then this is the moment that should push him into it he should see how badly he fucked up and be like you know what i need to do this extraordinary thing to fix it this is the moment that pushes them into extraordinary action and like that's also the thing about like this kind of story is it's you want to see the characters come up with smart solutions to difficult problems and to overcome challenges and suddenly the challenge is right there in their face like i said i think the order and things happen can stay the same i just think you can move some of the other stuff take out a couple of the ball scenes like you can have <laughs> you can have uh Ellen's friends discover that she is a spy or start telling him that before the attack on the garrison. Like you can move that section beforehand so that when the attack on the garrison happens uh, and there isn't a ball, he's already, her and him have already had that thing. And now she's distracted and they can't see each other for a while. Meanwhile, he goes through his whole process of being like, Oh my God, no, I do actually love her instead of it happening in the way it does. So again, I don't think what happens is it, but some of those ball scenes were literally there to just get the the stuff between Vin and Ellen. And I think you could have done that in other ways that worked within the like final end. Anyway. So as I was saying, a garrison is attacked um, or, and the army gets destroyed. Uh, they move the remaining forces that were hidden into the caves into the city. And then there is, uh, I'm going to cut through all the other stuff that I don't want to talk about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there is a uh, public execution that goes uh, super badly. They all watch it. Like they all watch everyone, all the uh, soldiers and some ska get executed. And the Lord ruler comes out in a carriage and like his black carriage just goes by and they're like, Lord ruler. Um, and then uh, there's a section where like, they're still researching the logbook, which they got during that first raid with the Inquisitors and the thing. And like 
people they're still recruiting there's a bunch of stuff that happens logistically during this point that we don't need. yeah see the thing is this part can literally just be cut before we start talking about the climax nothing interesting happens here the thing that sets it off is that um they think that uh kelsier's brother has been compromised and so their their safe house is going to be moved um and then they find out that and this is also what makes him attack the mines <laughs> it should be the attack of the garrison and the public murder like listen i get it i love marsh and i like marsh and kelsier's relationship but it, it, we did not need to wait for this. And, and this could have happened beforehand. Yeah, that didn't feel like the berserk moment. They think his brother is killed. His brother had in, in, uh, gone into the ministry, ministry. That's when he attacks the mines and he comes back and he was like, I did it. And he was like, uh, they also find out that when Marsh got attacked, like, oh, they, they, they probably found out who he was. And so they have this, a guy we haven't mentioned at all, but there's this dude named Lord Renew who is... Uh, a nobleman that's been working with him, but not actually a nobleman. The actual nobleman died, but something is in his body. Um, and they try to get Lord Renu and his entire entourage of people that work with them out. They get captured. And then when they get captured, they're going to get taken out for a public execution. And that's when Kel's like, we can't leave them. We've got to save them. And then Vin is like, but you can't do it. And then he gives her a look and he's like, you've learned nothing about friendship. One day you'll understand. And that felt weird and harsh to me and not like it really gelled with what's going on in her character. He said, he said, you still have things to learn. That's not the same thing as like, you learn nothing. Yeah, that's cl It's close. It's it, again, though. it felt like a weirdly harsh moment for like someone who'd otherwise been very fatherly. I don't know. Besides spook who they were actually friendship friends with like nobody was really friends with lord Renew. and then like, <laughs> yeah if they were willing to watch all those soldiers get murdered in cold blood why are these ska servants different again the only difference is spook that's it that's the only person they actually know so why is this the moment that he saved um, this them? is this is also just like he felt personally responsible for them because like he brought them all into like that mansion where they were at risk so but Again, he also it's felt like, personally responsible for the rest. He literally said, we have to go and watch it because we are personally responsible. Yes, but, like, personally responsible for them dying is different than, like, he they have basically been under his care and protection for like a year well so this is a problem where again his lack of emotionality creates a problem because he's such a practical minded person that he shouldn't be making a rash decision because he feels it's like his responsibility he should keep his eye on the end game but he also needed a way to get himself killed to spark everything right but then why did he say that to vin about her not understanding friendships i don't know <laughs> yeah because why again besides spook who he wasn't friendships Vin yeah. was better friends with spook than he was why does that friendship comment make sense in that setting at all because like logically i can understand because like the the conjurer would have to like be able to like eat his bones later and like like logically it makes sense for it but like the friendship comment I don't, I can't explain the friendship comment. <laughs> Again, it's actually just weird because otherwise I liked their relationship. I thought it made sense. And then it, it's also weird because like you would think that would be a very harsh thought for her to have is the last thing he says to her. So yeah, it's weird. I, I don't, it's just kind of like a little bit of an inconsistency. Um, and basically he fights an inquisitor. He actually it manages to win. It would have made sense if Ham was in there. If Ham had been, cap like he had sent Ham to go with Renu's people to protect them. Was and then Dawson Ham in there? No, no Dawson was, Dawson was, with, was yeah. with Vin watching the whole thing. Yeah. The only person of emotional value was Spook who was not like, 
uh, as far as friendship and just maybe he had been sleeping with some of the servants and didn't want them to be killed. Like he fights an inquisitor. It's a Neo moment of like, Oh, you're actually going to face one of the agents. There's no way you can win. And then he does. Um, and then the, and everybody's watching him and being like the survivor, the survivor. The Lord Neo. Of the and then the Lord commander shows up and just like bitch slaps him and he dies. Um, this is another bitch moment where like half of his face off. Yeah. Yeah. He's he just bitch slaps him. This is another moment too where so we should talk about Kelsier now because in the comments there's been a lot of discussion about whether he's an asshole or not. Uh, he is, but the author doesn't think he is, and I actually would have liked if the author had leaned more into him being kind of an egotistical person because the thing about it is that it, it I would have liked him to be more unhinged and this for him to be his moment of exaltation in terms of like I did it I'm this is all I've been le leading up to and then that would have made him getting bitch slapped so much harsher of a, a of a, an emotional moment um and uh, in general I just would have liked him to be a little bit less like staid and a good person I just think that may, that would have been much more interesting and made his legacy more interesting um because he really is just a perfect person he really is just Jesus and that's going to become eminently clear in the book he has the fight he he gets killed and then like everybody's upset and shocked by it and then Vin ends up being like that place where he did all his stuff and he pretended to be an informant let's go there and they find a bunch of weapons and they find the Condra of uh, well no they hear some people in the street being like the survivor came to me and told me that we need to band together. We can do this. We can like overcome. Jesus came out of his cave after he died for us. And then they're like, we as his apostles need to f go forward in creating this government that he wanted us to. And, and then they realized this whole time he had been building himself up as a hero because what the Scott really needed was hope, which I don't love as a message. It's the great man theory of history. And it's like, uh, okay, whatever. So they see this happen where some scar talking about this and one guy's like, I saw him, he came to me in a vision. Uh, and then <laughs> they go to a warehouse and they find a bunch of arms and they're like, Kel, that crazy bastard. And you find out from the Condor and Condor are basically mistrates that are like old mistrates who have gained consciousness and they can, once they eat somebody's bones, they can turn into them. And the guy who was um, Lord Renu was a Condra who ate Lord Renu's bones. And now he ate Kelsier's bones and he's pretending he's acting as the reincarnated Kelsier to spread the religious message. And basically this connects to the idea that um, you get from Sazed, which uh, there was a bunch of times where Sazed, uh, where uh, Kelsier asks Sazed, why do people believe? Like, how do you, how do people get this passionate and believe so hard? And um, Sazed says something like, you need to give them something to earnestly believe in. Um, and I think that is very, <sighs> for someone who studied so many religions, religions, no, most of the time it's because they need shit explained that they cannot explain. Like, that's where religion came from. You needed to give them. You need to give them something. No, there's so many things that aren't explained that you can be like, ah, yes, this is why this, this is that. Anyway, so it's it's a bit of a. It is a very Christian idea of, and it, you can see the Mormonism because it's a very Abrahamic idea of religion. And for again my problem is not with that explicitly idea. a jesus figure yeah my problem is not with that idea it's the fact that when says it is asked why do people believe stuff he gives an abrahamic explanation for it instead <laughs> of like what religions actually did for people for a long period of time but anyway and so he's basically turned himself into a mythos and needed to martyr himself to fully unite everyone and to give the scholar thing it's not working too well because the 
one of the things you learned from Marsh when he invaded the ministry was they have like soothing stations throughout the city. So even though people have a lot of feelings, there's they're being soothed out of all of it. So then they have to send their emotional manipulators to kind of counteract that. Uh, and basically they, they in a night, get the Scott to mobilize and start attacking places. While this is happening, Ellen and some of his, like he, Ellen's father is like, I'm going to leave. The atrium's been attacked. I'm going to get out of here before the Lord Ruler figures it out. Uh, and Ellen is like, I'm not leaving. I shall come into my, like, I, I can't let the Scott just needlessly burn stuff. We have to rebuild and I shall like partner with them and rebuild. And so he goes and finds them. During all of this, Finn is like, what am I going to do? Like, I have no job. My job used to be to kill no <laughs> But then Kelsey realized that wasn't a great idea. So now, and then she's like, I'm going to go find out what's in that room. So then she breaks into the palace. Uh, she ends up getting captured. They There's a whole thing where, like, you find out the uh, Inquisitors were trying to overthrow the Obligators because the Obligators are technically the head of the ministry. And uh, the Inquisitors have not liked that for a very long time. And so they've been tr slowly trying to build up a case. And Vin is there. The reason they've been so thirsty for her the whole book is she's there. She's this daughter of the head ob uh, obligator, like the, the guy at the top of the government. And they're like, this is our perfect tool to show that obligators are worthless. And so like um, she breaks in and she sees the Lord Ruler, but he looks different than when he killed Kel. Uh, when he killed Kel, he was like young and handsome. And immediately I'm like, oh, he's a fucking terrorist man, which I will explain why this uh, <laughs> this is important uh, and why you can make this deduction from this. But when she sees him in his like office room, he is old. <laughs> he, 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 he much older. And she's like, uh, and the whole thing is she has the 11th medal, which is supposed to be the thing that kills him. Um, and so he tries, she tries to use some of it. And all it does is show her a different version of him. And she's like, what? That's because gold as like one of the medals, it shows you different versions of yourself, what you would have been if your past had been different. Um, gold is my least favorite element. <laughs> like it just. It's it, all the elements is least favorite element. It, but it just like from a concept, it just, it's, it's a very lame. Again, everything else is very physics based. And then this is like. All of a sudden fine. you can see like conceptual things of what you might've looked like in it. But anyway, and she can see now she, she basically can see his past and different versions of himself. And she's like, huh, that's weird. And then like, she's listening to this whole conversation and this whole thing, uh, she ends up getting captured. They feed her a different medal. And this is when you realize, oh, there are other medals that everybody else doesn't know about that he has probably been keeping from the general population. And basically what this other medal they make her ingest does is it nullifies all the other medals inside her. So even though she had a full store of stuff she could use, this other one, when she burns, it just burns them all out immediately. And so she kind of has to like come, like she ends up back in a room with them. There's a trial for her father. And then the King's like, okay, the Inquisitors get to be the head of the state, which is just a weirdly, and it's funny because it's supposed to be like this, but it's a weirdly, weirdly bureaucratic moment in the middle <laughs> of the city burning. And, mm. and the God King's like, I don't give a shit about the rebelling. I can take them out by myself. Like, I don't let them do it. He's like, you know what? I like the, the nobles to be killed off every hundred years or so. So I'm gonna just let these ska rebels do it and then I'll deal with them afterwards. Um, and, uh, so it, there's a moment during this, uh, confrontation, uh, where she realizes, oh my God, cause, and, and this, I need to explain a little bit of the journal of the Lord ruler before he became the Lord ruler. There was this whole point where he basically he learned from a, the, our 
Lord Ruler guy that we think is going to be the person that turns into the Lord Ruler has been told that he is the person of prophecy for a terrorist prophecy. Um, so it's not something his people told him. It's something that this other group of people were like, hey, you are, are basically the Messiah. You are going to save us and lead, like, like save the world from a terrible thing. It's you. Uh, and he's like, okay, I start my quest. And he's a bit like, am I? Could I possibly be? What if I'm not? And there's all these questioning. And basically, at the point where he finally starts being like, okay, it either is me or it isn't, but I'm going to do my best. There's this terrorist servant that he's had this whole time who starts turning on him and is like, no, it, 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 the the messiah of the terrorist should not be a foreigner. And it should not be a foreigner that tried to oppress us. And so basically the idea is there's two groups of people, the terrorist and this other group who came in and invaded terrorist land. And so the idea that the messiah of the terrorist is this foreign guy who invaded, it, it very much gives white savior, like uh, mm -hmm. last of the Mohicans or um, Poca the not the Pocahontas dances with wolves vibes. <laughs> Um, but anyway, and, and, but this guy's like really upset about it. He's like, you can't be it. And he starts feeding dissent into some of the other terrorist men. And, uh, the guy writing the journal is like, I don't understand why this happened. He's starting to do this stuff. And the journal basically ends with him being like, okay, tomorrow's the day I'm going to go. I'm going to take the power. I'm going to try my best not to become evil and let it, like, I don't want to become a tyrant, but sometimes you have to use the, the force of a tyrant to get, like, you need to use fear, which is the tool of the tyrant. And he's like, but I'm going to do my best vin has read this okay and so in this moment she's in there with the, the lord ruler and she sees that past version of him she remembers the past version of him which was this bearded dude wearing like furs and leathers and not like a suit and she goes oh my god it's the terrorist servant he he killed the actual dude who wrote the book this isn't the guy that wrote the book he is the terrorist who killed off the guy that was supposed to actually be the messiah and he took his power for himself and then it makes sense why he can get old and young because one of the things you learn about Sazed is Sazed can change parts of his physicality uh by storing bits of power it's called thermaturgy um uh pharaoh chemistry but he can store skills so like if he wants his eyesight to be really good if he allows himself to have terrible eyesight he can store a bunch of good eyesight in his like in a piece of metal that he can use later when he needs to have really good eyesight so when he was able to uh come up and surprise the uh, inquisitor and save vin earlier it's because he used stores of speed and strength and night vision, which is why for a while afterwards, he has to read with glasses on because he used up all of his good vision. So to restock it, he had to have bad vision for a while. And you learn this earlier. So the minute you see that the emperor was like young and then he was old, you're like, this guy's a terrorist. And you're like, oh, this, this guy's that guy. And then Vin catches up to you and makes the, and then you realize that part of the reason that he is so strong is because he's using ferrochemy and, uh, Alamancy at the same time and he's able to store up stuff in the metals he burns that makes it so that they're like 10 times more potent and that's how he's been able to live this whole time then kind of figures this out because she remembers how Sazed keeps these pieces of metal on him and they realize that he's been keeping metal on him not to as a power statement but because he literally needs a couple of them and she realizes that there are two embedded in his arm, so you can't yank them out because anything in your skin or in your body cannot be affected by um, allomancy. Uh, but she is really strong, and she realized there's a couple of things that she shouldn't be able to do with allomancy, but she's so strong that she can do. And she realized that a couple of, like the Inquisitors can do it. 
and the Lord Ruler can do it, and she she can also do it. We don't know why yet. I'm sure this is something that gets explained later, but she realizes that she should actually be able to pull those metals out of his skin because that's probably where he's been storing his important shit. So she yanks it out. He immediately turns into an old guy and starts like, she like puts the metal out the window and he's like, no, my precious. It's <laughs> very Disney. Window. Yeah, kind of like slowly degrades into like ash, yeah. but not ash, yeah. but yeah. And then uh, she ends up, because they're like, I think he's alive and she ends up killing him. The whole city can see it happen. He's like, no, I saved humanity. And there's this whole spin, this whole stuff about some kind of eldritch deep thing that, that we've also been hearing about. So the idea is that, oh, next book, we're going to find out that there was more going on than just him that being he evil. Actually, so the idea is that the Messiah person and the was supposed to stop the deep and this guy obviously did that and the idea is he's been stopping the deep this whole time and now that you've killed him the deepness deepness, the deepness but uh now that he's dead the deepness is going heck and return and then they're gonna have to figure their shit out and that's probably book two i'd imagine anyway and the book ends with her like everybody's like kind of putting ellen has now become king <laughs> he's he's gonna put together a better ruler. Marsh is now technically the head of the ministry because he's the only inquisitor left in the city. And, and they transferred power to the inquisitors rather and than the inquisitors. And he's like, I got you. I'm going to, I'm going to take it down and change policies from the inside guys. Ellen is king. And there's a moment where Vin is like, uh, says it is like, you should go see Ellen. He'd like to know that you're okay. And she goes, and there's this moment where she's like, no, everybody's going to, leave me i i can't and she starts walking away alone i must be for the night and just never and then, <laughs> yeah. then she has a moment where she realizes wait a minute the reason i felt like this my whole life was because i thought reen betrayed me and hated me but it turns out because what you find out is he actually like he was captured by um uh inquisitors and had been tortured and that he had even through all of the torture uh protected her existence and said that she died as a child and she realized in that moment that no he didn't betray her he had been captured and she didn't know what happened and that he had fought with his last breath to protect her and she's like okay so relationships are complex but he didn't betray me which means the people that love me don't just abandon me and and leave me all the time and so then she goes back in and she like throws a coin down and she makes a comment about him reading too much and then they grab each other and the, the book ends that's literally it's the in the last 16 seconds of this book are her being like, don't you know it's rude to read in front of a lady? That's exactly the line. Yeah, that's the last part. Yeah, and then they obviously have a very chaste kiss because Mormon. Um, and that's the book. Maria, why don't you give your wrapping up thoughts first? Um, so I thought some of the things that I wanted happened more in the last part of the book. Like I wanted more of like the ska feeling like people who had been really like stepped on and I got a bit more of it in the last portion of the book. I do not like that the coded non-whites <laughs> characters that like that that, that guy killed, yeah. killed the messiah because i like the idea of someone like how power corrupts and you go from being someone who is legitimately very uh and I, again this i think is personal but i like the idea of someone going from legitimately good motivations and then slowly declining into something dark so having someone who out of jealousy and um anger took this position of power and then subjugated his own people who he said the whole time should have been ruling like his whole anger was he was like we can't let this other guy take our glory and then he's like now i am the glory and now i subject my own people and the people who i didn't like i will elevate part of them as nobility because they supported me but then the other half of that because he like this the stratifications of power he made were like the people that supported him that were from that other race that he didn't like 
the the majority of the people from that other race that he didn't like and then his own people are at the bottom and you're just like why why is this what you did like and also it just it would have been more interesting if he'd been the white savior who then went evil afterwards like that is a more like this is paul atreides's empire over time or whatever like um and like that i think would have been a more interesting inversion i'm sure there's more lore in the backstory about what actually happened and stuff but like this is a a, a book um it should be able to have at least some kind of internal consistent logic and i just didn't really feel like his motivations made sense I think overall, I, I, the last half of the book, um, I really didn't love the Kelsey or Jesus stuff. Um, I don't think Sanderson really understands oppression very well, and it kind of shows. Again, I, I'm going to go back to what I said at the beginning, which is that this book is aggressively fine. Like, again, all this kind of works. The last third really can, after that, the, the rebels get slaughtered, like a big chunk of the book can just be cut out pretty much. Um, but like i i do get why it's popular it's very fantasy -y, and i could see where his later books could become even more fantasy -y and less try hard grimdark and and people could appreciate that overall i'm the expectations i went in with were pretty high because again I've, I've, I've watched some of his lectures on plot structure and like he seems to really know his shit and people always speak so highly of his books and like his world building and i just I was not impressed. Miss Allie Snow made a point. She said, I didn't finish my reread, so I forget what's revealed in this book about the Lord Ruler's motivations. Allie and I guess Gina, does the motivations we are showed here, does that change or get recontextualized later? Does like does it make more sense at a later? I will say it makes more sense later, but maybe not enough to satisfy your issues with it. <laughs> Were you satisfied with it, or do you think it could have been handled a little bit better? I feel like I say this like nearly every episode I'm, that I come on with you guys. Uh, I don't read for the same reason that you guys do. So for me, for me, taking the book as what the book is, like it doesn't bother me. Like his motivations, because like it just it just doesn't. I don't. I can't explain why, but it just doesn't. But um. You know, with some of your comments about, like, how, like, yeah, it could have, it doesn't really make sense. And, like, it could have been better if it was done slightly differently. I, I agree with you. There is something to be said for reading something from how Will and I read it for this podcast most of the time, which is from an analytical where we're going in, like, okay, how is this working? Does it work? How does it all fit together? And, like, we're reading it from a critical place. Like, that's literally what I do for this podcast. Books that make me read non-critically are so rare. Even the books I really enjoy, I am still critical of. Uh, and so I think you're right. There is a different mode. Because, like, Katie has made that comment a couple times where, like, sometimes she's read books and she's just let them happen and enjoyed them. Yeah. And it's not until we're talking about them where she goes, oh yeah, you're right. I guess that could have been done better. But during her reading experience, it doesn't jump out. Like the plot, the plot being shifted around so that the army disaster moves to like starting the climax. Like, did that seem wrong to me that it didn't happen? Not at all. Like, would it have been potentially better if it did happen the way you were talking about? Maybe, but like, it doesn't bother me that it didn't happen that way. And like the same with like the, the Lord Ruler, um, like reveal and everything like that. And like his comments about like, you don't know what I do for this world instead of did like things like that. Like, 
could there have been a little bit more explanation? Like maybe in the logbook, like there could have been like a little bit more reason for like why he doesn't like you, like the why he why he doesn't like the uh, writer of the logbook rather than just keeping repeating that he doesn't like him. Like so, you could have like added to that, but I mean, there are things like that that could have been added to this book that would have improved it. Um, but I still stand by that this book is. I love this book. I love this series. Um, like, it's not like there are obviously things that like now that you guys are saying it, like yeah, it could have changed it. Probably wouldn't have taken like certain things that you said wouldn't have taken away from it. Would have added to it. Would have made it better. Um, like a little bit like stronger for some of the issues that you have. Um, but. I still like this book, even with those flaws. Yeah. Like them, it not being done like perfectly from a like a motivation standpoint, it doesn't phase me. So I will give you my example of this for me, which is once again I'm going to talk about this. My favorite of Naomi Novik's books is called Spinning Silver. Neither Katie or Will would have finished it. And they kept mentioning things. And I kept going, yeah, you're right. Like, objectively, yeah. But subjectively, I like it as is. And I wouldn't change a goddamn thing. It just, for me as a reader, works subjectively. And it is my favorite. And yeah, they're right. It's a little slow. Yeah. Some of the viewpoints probably could have been taken out. And it would have been... It would have been objectively better it's kind of like there's this whole thing where like a bunch of people were like knives out is a better film but they prefer glass onion like they like glass onion more but acknowledge that knives out is an objectively better film and like so i think for me like i can look at spinning silver and go yeah i can see like now that you're saying that stuff because going in i didn't think any of that the only things i would change about this book is some of your points about like the order of how scenes could have gone, like not removing them, not changing them, just like shifting when it happened. I agree. Like that would have been fine. Cause like that, that's a mechanic, like that's a mechanic of uh, change. Like I'm fine with that. Like explaining a little bit more about like, like the motivations of like people or like giving a little bit of a different perspective into like why Kelsier acts the way he does. Like that's also like a mechanic thing. Like that could have been fine, but like, the tone, the setting, like, everything about, like, the history, the way magic system works, like, all of that, that, like, really makes up, like, what this book is, I still think is well done for what it is, and it just satisfies a part of, like, me, personally, that no other book really does well. Like, this book is really, really strong and impactful for me because of my reading style, I guess. But, like, for me, this book is amazing. Like, but again, mechanically, you could have added to it. But, like, all the emotionality, all the other, um, like, details about things, like, all the other things that everyone's been mentioning, to me, adding any of that would detract from what I get out of it. Allie says, I mean, you like what you like. Maybe if Mistborn had been stream had streamlined some scenes and added more emotionality, I would love it rather than like it, but I liked it. Again, I think it just depends on who you are as a reader, how much you'll enjoy, enjoy it. I definitely will say that I didn't find this, a, like, it wasn't painful. I wouldn't say it's a bad book. It's He's a competent writer. And I actually, if I had the time at all, I probably would read the other ones just to see what the development was and to see if any of the things that I am talking about gets 
better as it goes and as we get more of that world building. But unfortunately, it is just too long. Like I can I can read the Raven cycle because those books are short and in between other stuff that we do. It takes me forever. But like I can do that kind of stuff. But unfortunately, uh, books like this, when they're just this long is really hard to get through uh, while doing this podcast. Yeah, I would be curious to do one of his more recent books, because I think it'd be interesting to see if he's grown as a writer, if a lot of this was like growing pangs or something like that. But like he has really doubled down on the high fantasy stuff in terms of being really long epic series. And so, you know, his books have only gotten longer and more interconnected with each other. Um, Warbreaker, I think, is one of his newer ones that's a standalone. That seemed kind of interesting. You guys in the comments, uh, interact. Let us know if uh, you have read uh, Sander Brando, Sando, and uh, what you guys thought of him. How many of his books have you read? How many days has it taken? Um, let us know in the comments uh, below. Uh, any last thoughts? No, I think I think we went through everything. Yeah. I think it went rather civilly. Good job, <laughs> you guys. Let me talk. I'm very happy about that. I'm Rice and I let women. I empower women. To do <laughs> he empowers like that. women. <laughs> you, you are so empowering. What would I do without that, William? All right, sign us up. Thanks for being here with us, guys. Bye. Bye.